Haggis announces Fathom revisited. Homepin contracts two pinball industry veterans. Heist beats Apollo 13 for multi-ball record. Hi, my name is Jonathan Houston. I'm the editor of Pinball Magazine and I'm joined here with... I'm Martin Ayer, and I'm the editor of Pinball News and we're here to look back at all the exciting events that took place in April 2021. Yeah, the events in the pinball industry, that is. Well, I think we can cover everything, can't we? It's a very quiet month apart from pinball. What do you think of WrestleMania then? Well, funnily enough, I was going to talk to you about it, but we'll do that after. Okay. Okay. Let's focus on the pinball stuff first. Yes. Um, It's interesting. Um, uh, The home pin uh, uh, headline that you just had... um, Home pin contracts to veteran pinball industry names. Uh, yep. It sounds like they got a disease, but it <laughs> might be my poor English that uh, if you contract something, that might not be the best scenario. But anyway, okay. turning that into a positive, we actually will have an exclusive interview with Mike Kalinowski of Home Pin. So Indeed. stay tuned. Yeah. yeah, stay tuned yeah. for that All to the find way out live from Singapore. Right. So stay tuned to find out who he hired. So, but let's start with uh, probably the biggest news um, of last month: Haggis Pinball announcing Fathom Revisited. Yeah, although they're they're busy uh, building their current Celts game. Yeah, at and least we hope. Those for a while. Well, they they um, they announced that uh, the first production game had been built, boxed, and was about to be collected by uh, a, a buyer in Australia. Right, and that so, was it. That was, and then the run that, was done. <laughs> yeah, it was a run of one. No, um, that was uh, that was the landmark that they announced. I'm sure others have been built and uh, shipped since then. But uh, yeah, as you say, the big announcement this month was that um, their second title will will not be a completely brand new uh, design. It will be the first of what they say will be a series of uh, revisited game designs of, of classic games. And Fathom was the very first of those. And um, it was a bit confusing because uh, they started doing a sort of teaser campaign which After start- a silence of five months, let's mention that yeah, as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. it's been on social media. We haven't heard anything from Haggis in five months, and then they started with this teaser campaign. So everybody was like, okay, what's coming up? What's coming up? Yeah. And, and there was and this, the- this underwater video with a quote from what apparently uh, sounded like uh, one of the Jaws movies. Yeah, it was Jaws 2. It was just when he thought it was safe to get back in the water uh, was the uh, the tag which is from, from the Jaws 2 movie. And everyone thought, oh, yeah, Jaws game, M- amazing. And uh, I think it's almost like the next day it came out with uh, another one about, about uh, Pinball going back to its roots, to where it all began. And it was like, oh, maybe it's Jaws 1 then. And, uh, and then the next day it was the announcement of, uh, of this remake of Fathom. Right. Which uh, is is going to be brought out in two different editions. There's the classic edition, which um, is probably the, the truest to the original, which uh, comes in at nine thousand five hundred Australian dollars. Which, uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the value of the Australian dollar against uh, any other currency, is um, about seven thousand four hundred US dollars, six thousand one hundred and forty euros. And five thousand three hundred and thirty-four UK pounds. 
Uh, and then there's the the limited Mermaid edition, which is basically two thousand Australian dollars more, eleven thousand five hundred, which is just shy of nine thousand US dollars. 7,400 euros uh, and 6,500 pounds. So um, the choice of those two, the, the, the additional features on the Mermaid edition are uh, sort of enhanced lighting effects, enhanced audio system. The, the, the classic one actually goes as far as it's just to have the original single speaker on it, which was found on the, the uh, original uh, Fathom game. Right. At the bottom uh, of the cabinet, it is. Yeah. That's right, yeah. And uh, but the the new Mermaid edition also gives you the option to choose between the original rule set and a new two point zero version of the rules. Right. Um, which okay, it's a nice feature on the um, on the Mermaid edition. I think it would be something that would be quite easy to add into the, the original one as well because it's, it's software. So it's uh, unless they put some checking in there to see which version of the game you've bought. You think it would be easy to add those extra rules into the into the classic version as well, right. but the Mermaid one was lim- is is limited to two hundred and fifty units. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a four week ordering window with a two week advance two option. day advance. Right, you're right, absolutely right. Two day advance window for those people who are members of the Clan Haggis uh, membership. Which gets you um, some special features, some, uh, and also this uh, this uh, ability to order the the, uh, the Mermaid edition two days before everybody else. Right. Uh, which also, but it, it does cost you money to join that uh, the clan. I guess I think it's about ninety dollars, ninety nine dollars for uh, membership uh, right, Australian but, dollars. But, but that that uh, two day period already expired by now. So if you're listening, oh to yeah, me, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but that was that. That was um, the uh, at the announcement time. That was a, a benefit for Clan Haggis members, right? Um, so, um, is, is, as I say, this is the first of, a, of what's planned to be a series of, of remakes. Yeah, I understood they're looking at like five of uh, five titles uh, that that they might be considering to look uh, look at or to do in the future as well. Um, I have to note as well that uh, this is all. Uh, done in uh, collaboration with uh, Planetary Pinball, so it's an officially licensed mm-hmm. uh, product, um, and also with uh, Scientific SG Industries, Scientific Gaming Industries, who which is uh, basically owned... the, the old Williams that owned the rights to Belly. That's right. Yeah, yes. yeah, it's licensed through them as well through Planetary Pinball. Right. So, um, well, it's uh, obviously exciting news. Uh, Fathom is a very classic game. Um, 1981 was a very good year for Belly, I would say. A very good titles came out in that year. Yeah. Um, it will be interesting to see. Personally, um, when I read uh, what, what they were going to do with uh, the, the Mermaid edition with a uh, more mode-based type of gameplay and uh, 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 um, multiple multiballs and getting to uh, a wizard mode and what have you. Not sure whether... Uh, I, I mean, it's a, a, a leave a classic a classic. You know, yeah. I mean, it's already difficult enough to uh, uh, basically to beat the game, to get the multiball going and, and, you know. But then again, there's players who for, for who that is just not enough. So I can understand. But personally, I think the, the rule set of the original is already difficult enough for me. Let's put I agree, way. yeah. I, I, I suppose it's nice to have the choice. 
there, which is uh, available in the uh, in the Mermaid edition. If if uh, that's your thing, if you don't if you don't don't want it, you don't have to use it. Right. So and uh, of course, um, well, they'll be using their uh, 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 playfield technique, which is uh, uh, non dimpling. Uh, yeah, but it's also not not printed on the on the wood, is no. it? It's, it's it's a I don't want to call it an overlay because it's not uh, it kind of undersells what it actually is. But it's a it's a layer of artwork on top of the wood rather than being printed either screened or uh, yeah. But or basically, you're playing printed. a large acrylic playfield with some wood underneath. Yeah, which uh, I guess generally doesn't. It doesn't even need to be wood, particularly. It's just that wood uh, could be MDF. It could be anything underneath because it's it's the surface of the of the acrylic that you're playing. Yeah. Okay. But I, if it works, it works. You know. And um, oh yeah, it's going yeah, to look it, amazing. And the, the good news, the good thing about it is, in twenty years from now, it still will look amazing. Yeah. Well, it works well for for hardtop who uh, who sell these um, these these large sheets of. Uh, that go on top of existing games to to completely re- refurbish them, so I think that's uh, a proven technology. And uh, and Haggis is, I guess they've they've shown with with the Celts game how how tough their surface is. Right. Yeah. So, um, um, in other news about Haggis, uh, they also announced that they are expanding uh, to a larger facility or new facility, which they um, have to do, wouldn't they? Yeah. Um, and um, optimistically, I would say, uh, they expect a production of 50 units per month. Now, the reason I say that's optimistic is there's not that many companies that actually make that number of games. Uh, probably only two, being Stern mm-hmm. Pinball and Jersey Jack Pinball, and everybody else is lucky to get to 50. I mean, I know Dutch Pinball is trying, and they, uh, if they have a very good week, they might get to eight games times four and a half, um, then you're still not at uh, at 50 games. Right. So, of, your, of course, it depends all on how many people you hire and every, uh, everybody working in the factory. But and availability of parts. F- f- yeah, ex- exactly. Uh, because uh, in, in the, I was talking to Barry of Dutch Pinball um, last night, and, and, and he basically said that um, everything has to align perfectly in order to get to eight games a week. Uh, you can't have anybody calling in sick or taking a uh, uh, going on holiday or, or mm-hmm. something like that. You know, you need full capacity, everybody available, all the stars align, nothing goes wrong, and then you might get to eight games a week. So, um, but then again, uh, they might have figured out a, a way to to get to forty games or fifty games a month. So, um, hopefully. Um, We'll see them uh, show everybody else how it's uh, apparently done. Yeah, it's, it's certainly a, a, a complete step change for for Haggis from going from the number of orders, which you don't know how many orders they had for, for Celts. But you can imagine that um, it would be, um, what should we say, 30 to 40, something like that maybe. And um, with a, a classic like Fathom, there's going to be it's good, the orders are going to be in the hundreds. So well, it's good, hopefully for them, yes. Yeah, so it's uh, they're going to have to really sort of get their act together and uh, and produce a, a professional operation because up until now, you know, it's, it seemed very um, professional in the way in the presentation of it, but 
it's still a, um, a startup company. It's still yeah, a young, it's young business. Yeah, boutique pinball from from uh, a, a rented storage space. Yeah, something like that. You know. Yeah. Now, uh, now with this and this being the first of a series of, of uh, remakes or revisits, then uh, it's it's turned into into the big time really, and it's starting to become a, a significant force in the pinball yeah. pinball business, which is yeah. which is great, you know. But yeah. with that, you know, come certain growing pains, and uh, you know, it's it's a different proposition as as we've we've covered many times, building. Know, thirty machines to building three hundred to five hundred machines. That's uh, then you're into serious, serious issues with you know employment of, of people and part supplies and uh, exactly. But anyhow, and so on. But yeah. uh, but so what, what's no, also what not I being found negative. But no, um, no, no. no. Being, well, being realistic. Just looking to the future. Right. So, but what's interesting also is that um, uh, Damien of Haggis announced that they will be doing in-house production of mirrored back glasses. Uh, they get, uh, are able to print the back glasses or to screen the glass uh, uh, themselves, uh, which which is interesting. Obviously, they will need to do that for um, for Fathom, but mm-hmm. once they have the, the the capability to do that, they might as well do that for other games as well. Uh, so that could be a little side business if they are in need of of something like that, you know. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice uh, additional uh, source of, of or potential source of, of back glasses, uh, particularly as they're working with uh, planetary pinball. So it might be able to go back through back catalogue and and produce some some mirrored glasses that aren't currently available. Right. So and they also showed a picture of um, some pinball legs using uh, I think they called it gerbil paint or something like that. Uh, which is actually a color-changing paint uh, ah, right. that, okay. that changes from, from green to purple or something. Uh, but, uh, and the caption was something like, why stick with one color? Okay, so Right, yeah. I guess it depends on the angle you're looking at it at. Um, yeah, nice. Yep. So plenty of options coming up, and uh, oh, congratulations to Damien and the, and the, and the uh, Haggis Bimble team on, uh, yeah. on their new announcement and Best future plans. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, we look forward to to covering all the developments as and as and when uh, they're announced. Right. So, well, moving from Australia a little bit uh, <laughs> to an Australian. Yeah. Well, but then in Taiwan, um, yes. let's call in Mike Kelinowski, the owner of Homepin. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? G'day, Jonathan. Uh, great to be here, and uh, hello to you, Martin, as well. Long time no see. It is indeed, Mike. Yeah, it's great to hear from you, and uh, I'm glad you'll be able to bring us up to date on all the exciting things that have been happening at HomePin over, well, since probably about the past year, I suppose, since, since we last spoke. Well, I'm not so sure it's excitement, but more like a hard slog. <laughs> <laughs> it's exciting from this end, then. Uh, but yes, yeah, so behind any uh, pinball business, there's a lot of hard work, and... Uh, and yours, I'm sure, is is no different um, in that regard, but certainly very different in in where you are and the challenges that you're facing. Well, I've been told pinball's easy, Martin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. People tend to change their mind after a while, though, don't they? <laughs> some 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 find out. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, as people probably know, uh, Home Pin was started by me about uh, 17, 18 years ago uh, at home under my house, making some replacement boards for pinball machines they were just starting to sort of have a bit of a comeback and the hobbyist was having difficulty finding some bits and pieces as as it soon became mm. 
obvious to me. So I started uh, started that business with boards, and then we uh, sort of progressed along there and uh, and opened the factory in China to build pinball machines, and in, in particular Thunderbirds, our first machine. And uh, we were there for nearly five years in that factory doing that. And uh, January last year, well, it was actually before January last year, but uh, some of our staff were uh, telling us about some problems that were happening up north where their family lived in China. And uh, nobody knew what was going on. Nobody could say, but they said there's big trouble. And that's all they could tell us. Um, this actually... It joined with some other problems we were having there. The previous 18 months had become quite difficult in China. The you know the authoritarianism, the, mm -hmm. the inspections by by every single department you can name and department you'd never heard of. You know, this, it became a weekly thing, and, and it was becoming a real stressful problem. You know, you, you'd have inspectors just lob on your doorstep, and it's not an inspector with a clipboard. It's like six people suddenly turn up. And they just waltz in and go through everything, and they might be looking at, for example, PowerPoints. Oh, suddenly this week these PowerPoints are no good. You've got to change every PowerPoint in the factory. And uh, you know, I won't bore you with the detail, but it just became very, very difficult to uh, to keep my mind on the job. And and there was other personal reasons, family reasons. Um, um, Amanda's brother uh, fell ill, and he's the breadwinner for the family. So we had decided in late December uh, to move stumps and and get out of China and move back to Taiwan. She's from Taiwan. And uh, uh, I think that that was our best option to, uh, Amanda to move being, to Taiwan. Uh, your girlfriend, just to clarify. Yes, she, well, she's now my wife. She was my girlfriend at the time. And uh, she was helping me run the business there quite quite well, thank goodness. She'd been in China for 15 years herself. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. She was Ooh. basically 2IC in a very, very large bicycle parts factory. And, uh, and she was very adept at running a small to medium-sized business and uh, being fluent in Chinese, of course, she could keep tabs on everything that was going on. So in the end, we, we packed up what we could. We had to leave an awful lot of stuff behind and we shipped two 40-foot two containers to Taiwan with all our essential stuff and you know, many cartons of, of, of other bits and pieces followed over the, over the following few months. But uh, we came here, looked for a, a new factory. We decided to downsize at that time. Uh, we had to leave all our staff behind, which was a bit of a shame because there were several of them that I really would have liked to bring with us. But uh, for those who don't know, the political situation is such that Chinese um, Chinese people are not permitted to come to Taiwan, um, not even for a holiday. Uh, mm -hmm. They are under extreme and uh, very extraordinary circumstances allowed family visits, that's all. But uh, uh, if they're a Chinese passport holder, they're simply not allowed to come here. Hmm. Oh right! Oh, I, I thought I thought China considered Taiwan part of part of the uh, uh, country. Yes, China, China does consider Taiwan part of part of them. But the the facts of the matter, and they're un, uh, indisputable facts, is that the People's Republic of China, the the CCP, mm -hmm. has never ruled Taiwan, not for one second in history. So uh, it's it's a simple lie, and that's all. And they've managed to lie to the world for a very long time. And uh, they, as I as I said earlier, they they have started ramping up the problems in China. And I know several Australian business people who have uh, factories and offices in 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 China, mm -hmm. and uh, they are even having difficulty getting a visa to go back into to their business. Mm -hmm. So they've tightened up very very hard. And um, we were very very lucky to to move out when we did because. Uh, Apart from not having the great staff that we wanted, and uh, all of my comments, by the way, are not are not against 
the Chinese people because we've had some fantastic staff. We've had some great dealings with Chinese people. Sure. Uh, it's, it's the government. It's the government that's the entire problem. And uh, that's what was causing us the trouble and it's what's causing the rest of the world problems at the moment, obviously. But uh, it's like a breath of fresh air moving to Taiwan. Um, whole different ball game. It's, uh, in, in, in what way? It's a first world country, totally. You can walk down the street and you're not stared at like I was in China. Everybody would look and go, oh, look, a foreigner. Ooh. Oh, really? Yeah. Here, you're just another, another person. They don't care. They don't look twice. And uh, it's, it's a whole different, it's like a breath of fresh air here. You know, at one stage, towards the end, I was always looking over my shoulder, wondering if they were just going to come and pester me for no good reason and, and pull, pull me up on the road driving along or something. It, it was just a worrying 12 months, I guess, the last 12 months. And that didn't help with, you know, get work done either. So uh, mm. we moved here. We started from scratch. We rented a shed. We decided that we were going to downsize. We weren't going to try and do everything that we did in China. In China, we had two factories and uh, one built all the cabinets and painted them. And, and uh, that's another long story I won't bore you with at this point. But we've decided here that we'll outsource that work to a cabinet factory, which we have now found. And... Um, we will outsource a few other bits and pieces like wiring harnesses and things, and we're just going to concentrate on the core the core business of designing the machine, of building the machine and uh, getting it out the door. And uh, we've spent the 12 months basically putting nuts and bolts and screws back in the right order on the shelves and uh, finding suitable suppliers here that are happy to do business with us, and uh, that's, that's where we've been at. And uh, probably... Uh, well, six months ago now, I suppose, maybe five months ago, we were approached by uh, by the design department from Porsche and um, they wanted to build some pinball machines to put into motor show displays, basically as a gimmick to attract attract attention to, uh, you, mean, you know. Sort of like trade, trade shows? Yes, trade shows, motor shows, that sort of thing, just to right. attract punch to their stand and, oh, if you want a, if you want a game of, of pinball, give us your email address, sort of thing. Basically, an email harvesting, harvesting device. Right. And uh, had, you, had you had any um, sort of contact with Porsche before? Ah, uh, no, no. Oh, right. So it just came out of the blue then. It did. Yes. Well, they went looking for someone who could make them a small quantity of pinball machines, and as you're probably well aware, there's not too many places that would even consider doing it for a start. Uh, sure. Let alone what they're capable of doing it. There's very few places that would bother, and. Um, we took it as we took it on mainly because we felt we'd spent you know eight nine months putting nuts and bolts and screws on shelves, and we figured that mm -hmm. we really needed a, a boot to kick us along. So we took on the job, and uh, we didn't make any money out of the job, but at least it fired us up and it got us back in the groove. And we had cabinets built, and we had design work done, and and got everything together, and and out the door they went. And uh, it allowed us to develop our our board set a little bit further. So now we can. Uh, now we can drive a, um, a monitor from our board set and uh, that worked quite successfully with Porsche. And uh, so far, uh, as far as I'm aware, they're very happy with it all. I don't think they've actually displayed it at any shows as yet, but, uh, but they've got all the machines and uh, we are right. now in a position where, we've, where we have um, obtained a, a, a new licence. Thunderbirds is finished, for those who don't know. We stopped production uh, Basically, when we left China, uh, we had intended to build some more when we uh, when we came to Taiwan, and uh, we we just never got there. So uh, we decided that it was time to uh, to move on, 
And uh, there's a bit of unfinished business from Thunderbirds, which is the toppers that I'd promised pre-order buyers. And uh, I'm pleased to say that uh, that we're now building those toppers for them. And uh, yes, I'm well aware it's very late, but better late than never. And uh, we should have those ready to ship out maybe. Then, uh, we're still waiting on a few bits and pieces. Some motors have got to come yet. So we're, we're probably six weeks away from having those ready. But they will all be finished and done and dusted before we actually move on to the new project full steam ahead and um that's uh, our new licensed machine but uh, what's probably more interesting apart from the, the new licensed machine is a is a couple of guys that we've now got on the home pin team to help us design this new licensed machine and uh, right. you guys probably know them as uh, joe joe balser and jeff bush um pretty much have worked with each other on and off for 20 years i guess uh, right from the Sega days with Apollo 13, Baywatch, and Batman, and things like that, um, through to American Pinball with yeah. uh, you know Hot Wheels and and uh, various other machines. And uh, yeah. Joe also uh, Joe also did the Wizard of Oz originally. He did the Wizard of Oz design. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so right. He's he's pretty well known in the industry, and uh, I would like to think that both these guys wouldn't come onto a, onto the home pin team unless they were pretty comfortable with our. Uh, not just the operation and what we're up to, but but more so the uh, the new license we have. Uh, you know, they're not they're not going to put their time and their reputations on the line for for a license that isn't worthy. Let's say. Are so you going to tell us anything about that license? No, the sort of uh, yeah, and that he can't tell you. <laughs> it's, a early, it's a bit early in the day to do that. Uh, certainly, perhaps next time we have a chat, I'm be more at liberty to say something. Uh, it's still early days at the moment. Uh, we're, uh, you know, we're still, we don't have any fixed layout or anything, so it's not a lot of point to mention it just now because it'll, it'll be, an, I don't want to repeat what happened with Thunderbirds where we announced it and uh, people were all excited and then I, I had a lot of misfortunes and uh, so on and, and things got held up and also uh, things took a lot longer to get going than I had ever anticipated because pinball's easy, remember? And... Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I found out the hard way that pinball is certainly not easy, uh, but it is doable if you stick at it, and uh, that's what I've done, and I have stuck at it, and here I am, I'm still here. Some others have run away, but I'm here, and uh, I'm making toppers that I promised people four years ago, so all I can do is apologise to them and say they'll be ready soon. Right. But, so uh, so uh, did your move out of China to Taiwan, does that signal the end of uh, any further work or development on on the China Zombies game? Uh, we only ever completed one full finished China Zombies. It is actually ready for production. Uh, the software is written. There's no bugs that we're aware of. It's uh, sitting in our showroom in Taiwan. We aren't going to sell it in Taiwan purely because it is uh, basically completely simple Chinese, which is what they use in mainland China. Right. Uh, Taiwan does not. Taiwan uses traditional chi Chinese, the same as Hong Kong. And uh, it wouldn't be taken very well if we put that machine out on the streets here. <laughs> no. And not just that, the, the places to put it here are pretty few and far between. I probably could cite 10 if I tried really hard. And it's just, it's just not worth it. Um, we put that on the back burner for the moment and um, it's there, it's working, you can play a game on it and uh, it works quite well, but... I just don't see any way forward with it right now. We could make and sell them to, to mainland China, but again, 
the situation in China is not lending itself to uh, yeah much yeah, business. At all and it's a, it's a lot thicker there than than anybody will admit. And uh, you know they're they're claiming huge successes and and the old business has never been better, but. Yeah, we still talk to our ex-staff and they tell us a completely different story. They're telling us the truth of what's actually going on in the street where the government's spouting more propaganda to the world. That's all it is. Right. Okay. So um, I, basically what you're saying is now that you're based in Taiwan, it's actually very difficult to sell that machine to mainland China. Oh. No, I just don't think that it would be well-received at the moment. Uh, you know, it's it's... Anything coming from Taiwan into mainland China is not overly well received because they think they own Taiwan and there's, there's all this nonsense that goes on. And um, it's just, it's, to be honest, not worth the hassle. I'd sooner just forget about it and move on to our new machine, which I believe will interest a lot of people. And on, on the subject, what I can say about the new machine is when, when we made, and well, when we decided to go with Thunderbirds originally, that was done very, very purposefully because we did not want to go being a brand new pinball company we did not want to go head to head with the likes of stern and jjp and compete on their own turf because it was just never going to work so we deliberately chose a theme that we felt would sell better in other markets that weren't their primary markets such as mm. england england and australia and and new zealand and canada and so on uh, commonwealth countries where thunderbirds was quite popular and very well known and it just yeah. wasn't very well known in in america and i knew this from day one right from the very beginning and, and and so it did surprise me that suddenly some machines started making their way into america and then the comments started coming oh what's this thunderbirds rubbish it's it's a rip off of of world police uh, oh, and, yeah. <laughs> uh, which of course it is not it's the other way around yes that's right uh, it's just that it was it was never seen in america and i knew this and uh so it surprised me when these machines started popping up there, and that, and I wasn't really ready for the for the onslaught of comments and things. And uh, uh, this time round, however, we've got a theme that's very strong in America. So uh, you know, let's see how we go this time. Is probably all I can comment on. Okay. So okay. Um, now, so you just announced uh, that you basically contracted uh, pinball designer. Joe Bolzer and uh, graphic artist Jeff Bush. Uh, I assume they will still be working from America. They're not moving to Taiwan. No, that's correct. No, at the moment, nobody can go anywhere, really. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to be traveling to places myself, but I'm just not going to do 14 days at each end in a, in a hotel. That's just ridiculous. Right. So, um, so, so basically, um, uh, Joe is going to send in some uh, SolidWorks drawings or AutoCAD drawings, and you take it from there. We'll um, we'll throw the ideas around. We've also got some design team in Australia, which uh, we've had from right at the beginning, and uh, they're also involved. We'll throw the ideas around first, and then we'll have a company in America make a whitewood for us that Joe can can play and um, take it from there. And we're, um, you know, we're looking strongly at, at maybe even having some parts made in America because it's not such a problem to bring them to Taiwan. In China, we had to make every single part because you simply can't import things into China that easily. Uh, you know, you can't, you can't even order a book from Book Depository and expect that you'll get it. It's a 50-50 thing. You might get it, you might not get it. And uh, even for chips, and uh, now that I'm not there, I'm able to say this, some of the, the 
ICs that we used on the boards mm. just weren't available in, in China. And uh, I had to buy them from various companies such as you know, RS Components and Mauser and Newark and so on. And I had them delivered to my Hong Kong office. I would go to the Hong Kong office and smuggle them back into China in my bag because they simply weren't available in China. And uh, that's how I got some of the more difficult to find parts into China. I don't have that nonsense here. There's none of that rubbish. And uh, in fact, we can import arcade parts, as, as I confirmed this week. I, I, we can import arcade parts, pinball parts, if you like, into Taiwan tax-free if they, if they are going to be used as part of a finished product. And mm -hmm. uh, so it's quite likely that we will now look at some of the, the parts that we either don't wish to make ourselves or, or maybe that we shouldn't be making ourselves, and that could include the playfield. Right. And uh, they, they may well be imported. I don't know yet, but we're looking at it. Is it yeah. fair to say that uh, the local supplies around your, your new location in Taiwan are, are not as sort of readily available as they would have been in China? You know, it's in China, you could have got a lot of things made locally. And I guess in Taiwan, you, you will actually be importing them. There's a, it is a whole different situation. There's a lot of bigger businesses here rather than mum and dad shops. In China, we were dealing mostly with mum and dad shops and like places with less than 10 staff, smaller mm -hmm. business. And that was great. They were great people. They were always good to deal with and we had very little trouble with those. Here, the businesses are much bigger where you're talking like 50 to 100 staff. They're a lot less personal. They're a lot less interested in, in doing small runs and test pieces yeah. and so. Uh, we've we've been very lucky. We've found a few that we can deal with, and a, and a few smaller ones. And it's taken a long time to get to that point as well. That's that's another reason that we've still you know, lagging a little bit for the last twelve months, just putting all those pieces of the puzzle together. And uh, but slowly, slowly, we're getting there. We've got most of the people now. We we believe we need on side, and uh, and if we have to, we can still deal with a couple of the small businesses in China. But we'd we'd prefer not to do that. We'll uh, we'll stick it out and get everything happening here. And that's that's the best way forward we see. Right. So are, are you are you in a position to put a sort of time scale on when your your license game is going to come out? That's what I was going to, to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the date in front of me here because I'm <laughs> at night here. But uh, there is quite a strict stipulation in the contract that it be available um, before Christmas, and. Oh. Uh, that, there's an actual date which I can't recall right at the moment, but it's uh, it's a month or so before Christmas. Christmas what be, year? Uh, this year. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's that's going to be a lot of work to get. To, uh, one, of, one of the uh, in order in order for us to use this license to its full benefit and potential, we've had to get other licenses with other companies, and uh, one of those other here's a here's a clip uh, to, uh, a bit of a hint that someone right, might get. Yeah. But um, one of those other license companies that we have a license with uh, is celebrating an anniversary this year, and uh, it's a major milestone. And, and one of the conditions for us getting that license was we needed to have this machine for them to display in their in their display area as part of their celebration. So that's that's kind of the the tie in with it all. And, okay, uh, but so we, we're scrambling as fast and hard as we can to meet that deadline. Right, but that could still just be a prototype, not a production machine. Um, no, the license says it's got to be for sale. So <laughs> you can sell a production, <laughs> a, a prototype. That's not a problem. I guess so. As long as as long as we're screwing pieces into wood, I suppose you could class that as as being built. So 
Right. I, okay. I, I'm pretty comfortable that we can we can do it. We're pretty much okay this end. We've just really got to finalise our playfield design and precisely what mechs we're going to use where and then make a decision on what we're going to make and what we're not and just deal with all of that. And, um, yeah, we, we're pretty confident that we can we can put out somewhere between 10 and 20 a week initially anyway until we get more organised. We've got a cabinet maker on site who can very comfortably achieve that without any trouble. And so, uh, and we'll 20 cabinets a week is not a problem. I suppose the playfields is the harder issue. Oh, well, not really. We can import those 30 at a time or something like that. Okay. If you uh, well, I, I I hope that that will be the case indeed. Well, we're discussing that with DHL at the moment because that's going to be our best option. Sea freight at the moment is hopeless. We sent uh, we sent a pallet of uh, Bally transformers to America about <laughs> I don't know over two months ago now, and uh, it's still not delivered. So sea uh, freight's just not not on at the moment. It's just hopeless. Mm. Right, so, yeah. uh, we, we will have to work out some better way to do that, and and we're being quoted realistic prices from DHL based on the way we pack them and um, the number that's in a package. And there's a few criteria we've got to meet, and I think we'll be able to do that. And it will be surprisingly inexpensive to, to air freight them. So that's three days' delivery. That's that's not a big deal. So you'll be doing the assembly of the games in, in your factory in Taiwan. Uh, how, given the... Um, what you just described about about the the sea freight issues, how will um, assuming the situation is still the same come the end of the year? How will you actually get those games sent out to uh, to buyers? Well, that's going to be the problem. It's they're going to have to go by sea and by container, and people will just have to take wait as long as it takes. There's not much we can do about that. Uh, I guess we're going to ship them to our our distributors. We're not selling direct. Uh, we're selling to them to our. We're shipping to our distributors. I guess the distributors, once once a container's loaded and on the water, they can then canvas for buyers who may wish to put a deposit on them at that point with the distributor, not with us, and um, basically because their machine's built and on the way. And, uh, you know, the rest of it, the delivery time itself is pretty much beyond anybody's guess, I suppose. Right. Yeah, right. I, I guess that's the same situation for for lots of buyers around the world who are buying, you know, American-made machines that have to be shipped. Yep. Okay. Yep. It's a similar problem everywhere. Mm. Right. So let's hope just by the end of the year. So, um, in in terms of technical uh, uh, or display. Um, uh, so, <laughs> sorry, uh, at a loss for words. Um, now, uh, what I'm trying to hint at is uh, Thunderbirds was a uh, dot matrix uh, machine. Uh, the Porsche game, uh, of which you built four like, uh, prototypes, has actually an LCD and a dot matrix, uh, a blue dot matrix. Uh, has there already been a decision what your next title, the, the license game that you just mentioned, whether that will be a dot matrix machine or an LCD machine or both? Interesting you, you bring that up because as far as I'm aware, the Porsche machine would be the first in the world that has a DMD as well as a 27-inch color monitor. And um, the benefit for us building that machine was that it enabled us to build our uh, our video interface to our board set. So that's mm. that's a plus and we're very pleased with how that works and how it turned out. And uh, we've 99% decided that 
that the new machine will be the same. It'll have a DMD as well as a uh, uh, an LCD, 27-inch LCD. Now, there's a couple of additional reasons for keeping the DMD, and uh, um, which I won't go into just now because then it'll it'll give the game away about the uh, about the theme. But um, it will be extremely useful to have the DMD for this theme. So we've decided pretty much that we'll keep it for that. And, uh, and yeah, we'll have both. Uh, why not? Ah, okay. Um, well, obviously you're not going to reveal the theme, uh, which is, uh, uh, very understandable. Of course. Um, do you have any idea when you might be able to reveal the theme or is that going to be a secret right up till the moment that you're ready to ship? Well, I'd like to keep it under wraps as long as possible so that we've actually got something to show rather than say, hey, look at this, guys, we've got stick on a rock. And uh, and then people go, oh, well, that's exciting. Show us the play field because that's the very next question they, they will ask. So if I told you that it was going to be stick on a rock, uh, you would be inundated with people, show us the play field. What are the stickers like? Blah, blah, blah. And it would be never ending. So uh, there's not much point really even saying what it is until we can say, it's stick on a rock, and here's the play field, and this is what we intend to do with the rest of it. Well, so you said at least it's something you, to bite into. You said it three times. We're now sticking <laughs> with stick on a rock. Generic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we can use that as a code. But uh, in the meantime, you know, uh, while the game is in development, uh, are you um, working on other products still? Are you creating new boards? Um, or, or is all, all the effort now going into this, uh, this licensed theme? Oh, no. Basically, the, uh, the first thing we did when we, when we moved into the new factory, we established or re-established the board manufacturer side of things because that's been steady with HomePin right from day one. That underpins mm. everything we've done. So we actually started that first. We've now got dedicated staff that, that only assemble those boards. They're not on any other project. So they, that's going particularly well, and, and we've sold a lot more than we usually would this year, and I suspect that's that's because of people have stuck at home and fixing their machines, so they're mm. buying more parts. That's, that's what I put it down to, and uh, we've expanded that range during this 12 months. We've added probably six or seven products to our range. And uh, we're always looking to expand that as well. It's it's a very good part of our business. It's a nice, nice, steady part of our business, and and it helps people keep older machines going, which is really what I want to see. And um, yeah, that's that will keep on going, and uh, there's no there's no let up on that. And uh, one thing we have done, though, uh, I got asked a lot about some of the projects we were already on. One of them being the uh, the ride the wave ball balance game, and um, what we did, we we. Uh, we have a very close working relationship with a, an extremely large amusement company here called Weechi. Some people have heard of it, some people haven't. Um, yeah, well, they attempted to, to make a pinball machine themselves as well. The Pong, the Pong game, yes. Yes. Uh, we've got a very good relationship with them. We met them initially well, three, four years ago at a, at a uh, trade show in, in Guangzhou where they were exhibiting that particular machine, actually. And... Um, yeah, we formed a good working relationship with them, and they're they're just a few k down the road from our factory. They're very close, and uh, I decided that we we really needed to stick to our core business, and that was replacement boards and new pinball machines, and and try and not be too sidetracked by other things. And we'd we'd made a couple of prototypes of the ball balance game, and uh, they, it was working quite well. Still needed some tweaking. Uh, there was all sorts of feedback I got about the shape of the cabinet, about the colour of the cabinet, and it's the same old story. You can't please everybody. You know, you could give them a brand new 
Porsche Taycan and if it was black, they'd turn their nose up, you know, it's on <laughs> orange or pink or purple or polka dot or something. It's always got to be something other than what's in front of them. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's a difficult problem to get around no matter what you're doing because you'll never please everybody. But uh, at the end of the day, I, I sort of decided it was best if we didn't pursue that and uh, I gave that project to Weechi because I know that they've got engineers, they've got software writers, they've got fantastic machinery, they're unbelievable. And uh, they've now developed that machine to the point where it's just about ready for sale. So anybody okay. out there who's interested in that machine can contact Weechi or myself and I'll pass it on for you and, uh, and right. they should be ready to sell very shortly, I'm sure. So, And, yes, and, and just to clarify... Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, sorry for interrupting. Just to clarify, Ride the Wave is actually uh, a similar game uh, to what people know as um, ice cold, yeah, ice cold ice beer. Cold. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's it's basically ice cold beer uh, playfield style, but with some modernising, uh, with better sensors, with random hole between each ball. Ice cold beer gets. It's a great game. I love it, but it gets boring really fast because every <laughs> single time it's the same holes that you've got to go for. And after two or three times, you know, I've had enough of this. Uh, whereas with the one we developed, the hole that you need to aim for is random and it's randomly generated each time you lose a ball. So uh, it, it keeps some of the interest there. And there's a lot of other features, better music and so on. So, uh, so I don't know precisely what they've done to the machine. I, I did tell them that that was one of the key things they needed to keep. So let's hope they have. Right. So is this a, uh, a home pin product manufactured by Weechi, or is it just a Weechi game that you, that you basically uh, you you had the concept, the idea, and you passed it on to them, and now it's a, uh, up to them. I passed it on to them and, and let them run with it, and uh, and I haven't even seen the finished product yet. So. Uh, I'm sure I will uh, in the next month or so. But, uh, yeah, I, I, they've actually still got one of my prototypes. So uh, they've had that to play with and, and get ideas from and, and uh, make it. And I, I was able to point out to them a few things that they possibly didn't know with, the, you know, the speed of the the bar and the yeah. size of the ball and, and various things that, that we spent quite a lot of time. We spent 18 months developing what we had and uh, put a lot of effort into it. So... I was able to explain to them a lot of little bits and pieces that well, it was hard-won knowledge that they really needed to know. So I hope they've turned out a great product, and uh, uh, I guess we'll see soon. And do you, do you think there's any possibility of working with them again in the future to, I, I don't know, maybe manufacture games for poor you from, from your design or, uh, or you to design more games for them? No, very, every possibility. Uh, they're, they're very easy to get on with, and the... And like I said earlier, the, the factory is stunning. The machinery, it's just absolutely amazing. Right. Uh, they make some extremely high-end equipment there and cabinets, and they've got all the presses and folding machines, and it's just incredible, that all brand-new stuff. And, uh, oh, it sounds, sounds like they'd be a good manufacturing partner to work with to get your games made. Yes. Indeed. If we, if we get stuck making our new uh, theme pinball and can't turn them out quick enough, I might have to have a word with them. Yeah, great. Okay. Nice, to, nice to have that facility available. Well, and 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 uh, based on the, the the pinball product that they tried to put out, uh, which was using uh, ping pong balls, if I'm not mistaken, um, and it's sort of well, it's not something a real pinball player would consider a pinball machine. Um, and of course, I realized that there might be a completely uh, new market for that type of game. Um, but the design looked like the the ball couldn't. Yeah 
travel all the way to to every part of the playfield that it should actually be able to travel because uh, mechanisms were in the way. Sure, yeah. The, the game that they built was a double head thing, uh, mm. two players aimed at, at kids. And I, when I say kids, I mean sort of between six and ten. So right. young kids, not even teenagers. That was their goal, their market. It was bubble pop, I think they called it. Uh, well, I think and, uh, they even they they use the same design uh, uh, and and several art packages. I think they also called it Space Invaders at one point, and uh, I've seen several iterations of it. So, actually, the Space Invaders was one that they built for Tato. <laughs> They've got they do quite a lot of work for Tato, and um, that was um, one they they built several for Tato. So uh, they were made by Wichi in Taiwan for Tato Japan. Okay. And, and very interesting. Were these redemption games? Uh, I don't really know. I didn't see redemption stuff on them anywhere, but I imagine they could have been easily fitted for tickets. I yeah. guess that was the plan that they were designed to go into a redemption arcade because that, that would make more sense to me. Because mm. uh, yeah. they certainly weren't aimed at pinball players. No, no. Even, e interestingly, in their factory, they have an Aerosmith. So I thought that was... <laughs> I'm not quite sure. I think they got it to, to look at and play with, but, um, yeah, it's still there as far as I know. Right, okay. Maybe well, there's got some from it, I think. That might be what it is. Right, so now you know where to go for your uh, for, for, for your lunch break if you want to play pinball <laughs> and not your own uh, games. Yeah, get out of something different, yes. Yeah, well, you know, you, get, you certainly get tired of stick on a rock after a while. <laughs> <laughs> I find that hard to believe. But, uh, but you were saying, saying there aren't that, aren't that many locations in Taiwan. Um, you said you said probably about 10 machines in, into uh, the arcade or the, the street locations. Um, is, that, is, that, is that really the case? Do they not have arcades or um, do, do people in Taiwan buy games for home use? No, very rare because most people live in apartments and they just yeah. need a for a luxury that's huge like that, uh, you know, it takes up the same space as a cupboard with all your clothes in it, so they just don't do that. But, yes, there's plenty of arcades here, but uh, as you know, arcades around the world aren't really arcades anymore. They're mm. gambling den 10-year-olds, and uh, that's that's the sad truth. They've just, they've just become ticket vending venues, and they're no different here to the ones that I've seen in Australia and, and England and other places. It's just... It's a sad thing to see. Hopefully that will turn around again. But um, No, the, the places I'm thinking of that where you could put them would be bars and things yeah, like that. Yeah, so I can ask barcades. Yeah. Do, do, do barcades kind of exist there? Yes, there's one. I was there last Saturday, in fact, in Taipei, uh, and it's run by an English guy, uh, Mark. He, he's quite a nice guy, and it's um, he's got uh, about five, I think, machines. I helped him fix his Matahari while I was there. Oh, awesome. Uh, he had a, a dud transistor driving a pop bumper and it had been like that for over a year. They didn't know how to fix it, so I was able to show them the right direction and took some parts with me and sorted that out. So hopefully he's happy with that. And uh, we will obviously be putting one of our prototypes into there pretty early in the piece. But mm -hmm. there's other bars. I'm, I'm in Gaosheng, which is at the bottom of the island. It's the opposite end to Taipei, and it's more the industrial area. And, uh, and the factory that we chose is you know, in the ring, the circle of arcade machine makers and, you know, all, all those types of factories. Right. And so we're, we're sort of in, in the 
middle of all of that stuff. So that's why it's, you know, we're able to find the places we need to find, like cabinet people and so on, who already make claw machine cabinets and things like that. So they're already on the job with with the type of machine that we're building. So they're happy enough with that. But, yeah, uh, there's, there are bars, but the problem is the bars here are quite small. They're not like bars that we would expect in yeah. And not, not like a Chuck E. Cheese or a Dave & Buster's, uh, plenty of room, uh, or a huge arcade, restaurant area. Not, but most of the bars actually uh, have an upstairs where they might have a couple of dart machines or, or something along those lines or a small bar for a private gathering of maybe 10, 20 people. And um, that's where you most certainly could put something like a pinball machine. And uh, there's one bar that I've been known to go to a few times in Gaosheng And uh, the owner, there's two owners actually, interesting. One's, one's English and, uh, and one is South African. And um, when I mentioned what we were up to, because they, they knew that I built pinball machines and what we were doing, and when I mentioned what our new theme was to them, Stick on a Rock, they were super excited. And uh, uh, Who couldn't be super excited about Stick on a Rock? <laughs> they can't wait to get hold of one and, and put it upstairs next to the dart machine. So, again, that's probably, you know, there's probably more of those style bars around than I've been privy to find, uh, not having had much time to pub crawl. Uh, so there's probably more around than I think. Maybe there's lots of locations that, you know, with a bit of effort, you could put pinball into. Mm -hmm. Good. Right. Okay. So, um, um About Stick on a Rock and Joe Balser uh, designing that game, um, since you're in uh, Taiwan and you're testing the game in Taiwan with an audience that is not very familiar with uh, pinball, does that mean that Joe is going to design a game that's easy to understand for people who have never played pinball before? Or is he going for a game that's like the deepest rule set, like everybody else is trying to do? <laughs> um, we certainly aren't going for um, a, a fathom style rule set that's deep as the ocean. Um, we're not. We're not trying to do that. We're trying to make a game that's light and fun and happy. And I've made it clear to the entire team, and I haven't quite sent the email out yet, but it's ready to go to every member of the team that says every single step of the way, this must be fun and light and happy. Uh, I don't. I personally don't like drawings and artwork of skulls and death and and blood and gore. It just makes my skin crawl. I just can't stand that type of artwork, and I've made it exceptionally clear, particularly with this theme, that it lends itself to humour and fun and happy and light, and and that's basically what we're all about. And uh, that's that's going to be the the push for this game. It's it's fun and happy. Fun and happy uh, stick on a rock. That's it. Not death and gore and, you know, whatever. Shoot them up and kill them dead and House of Horrors sort of stuff. No. I, so, I just okay. Don't. So I, I guess we can rule out Mortal Kombat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait. Yes. And so, somebody was doing that. Was it Gottlieb or somebody? <laughs> Is it is it fair to say that um, you're you're aiming this uh, this game at the entire world? It's not uh, not targeted at a particular market. No, it's not targeted at, at a market. The 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 theme is worldwide appeal. There's no doubt about that. Although it's it's not known in the Asian market, but that's not a surprise uh, because they know very little about our Western ways 
in the Asian market. They just have never heard of things. They've never heard of songs that you and I take for granted. Uh, they've never heard of Dire Straits, for example. And I, I shake my head and say, you, you're joking, aren't you? You must have heard of Dire Straits. No, what's that? You know, no idea. No idea. Well, and you can tell that they've heard of Aerosmith. People up on the street and you'll get the same answer from 20 people in the street. They've never heard of it. And uh, so they've, they've never heard of Stick on a Rock. And uh, so it won't be a big hit here, of course. But in the West, and I mean anywhere in the West, uh, it's very well known, yes. Okay. Now, well, it will be interesting. Let the, uh, let the guessing begin. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the problem. They will, you know, the guessing will begin, and uh, that's why I don't particularly want anybody to know what it is because I'd rather have something ready to show and say, ta-da, this is what we've got and this is where we're at with it, you know, and um, let that's people get enough. excited or disappointed at that stage. Okay, so uh, stick on a rock. What does that mean? That's the stick. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So it's, it's not that you're playing pinball with a rock, are you? Could be a pin, a, a golfing game. Oh, no. <laughs> unlikely. No, no, it doesn't it tends not to do so well does it, as, as a theme <laughs> golf. Well, you know, maybe thirty years ago it was okay because you could get away with nearly anything when pinball was popular and and they kept bringing out nearly everything, and that's what people keep saying to me. Oh, why don't you make this? Why don't you make that? Well. Yeah, 30 years ago, you could have done that. You could have made stick on a rock and probably got away with it. But uh, these days, people expect Batman and all this type of stuff. They expect it to be, you know, uh, fantastic and the latest and greatest and whizziest and, or, or something like Haggis is doing with a remake of a famous and popular older machine. Mm, uh, that's yes. what they expect. You know, and, and what a great idea. Good, good luck to them. I hope they do very well. Right. So, um, okay. Um, uh, one aspect we haven't discussed, and I'm not sure whether you're at liberty to talk about it, but uh, do you already know anything about pricing of the game? Or is that something that will have to be, you, you have to look at at a later stage? Because obviously, as I understand, uh, COVID is affecting uh, production all over the world. Um, uh, materials are be becoming more and more expensive. So that could actually affect... Um, uh, if you would name a pricing point today, uh, that might not be relevant anymore or feasible uh, six months from now. Sure. Look, I, I'm with you there. and uh, It's just remarkable what has gone up and, and how much it's gone up. Every time we look around, it's just crazy. We got a quote for a particular item from someone about a month back and rang up and said, okay, we're ready to order a couple of hundred of those. Oh, no, wait on, wait on. I told you it was 10. It's now 15. Like, what? That's a month ago. And we, we said, wait, and it, no, no, that's the price. Take it or leave it. It's just every every single thing you look at is just gone. And not gone up 5%, gone up 50%. It's just absolutely ridiculous, the the amount that everything's gone up. So, yeah, I, I haven't I haven't even been game to, to look at a bill of materials just yet, even though we don't completely know what the finished product will be. But even just the basics of a cabinet and so on, I'm not even game to add that up just at the moment because uh, it, it's just an unknown and I think that's something we'll have to visit the month before we, we have it ready to go. I think that's about where it's going to come at. But you can see the pricing structure on um, on Haggis's Fathom. I mean, that's that shocked a lot of people, the price of it. Uh, I don't see that we can be much different to that, to be honest, but 
it's an unknown at the moment. I, I wouldn't like to say yes or no because it's just too variable at the moment. Things may may well settle down and come back a little bit. Let's hope so. Right. And is is the chip shortage uh, affecting you as well? Is, you're building all these uh, these circuit boards. Are you finding it difficult to find semiconductors and things like that? Very interesting. The stuff that we generally use for old pinball boards is pretty easy to get. There's been a couple of hiccups, but we've managed to find most of it. We do a bit of contract work for a, a um, for a, an Australian company, Hankin, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll know who Hankin is. We we do yep. a bit of contract assembly for them for for their products that they make, and uh, they are using modern, state of the art chips and so on. And we had a huge job. We just made another batch for them and we had a huge job getting some of the parts for that. So it's not so much the the regular TTL 74440 yeah. series stuff that mm-hmm. we use for boards. That's that's still fairly easy because most people have got lots of stock of that stuff. And it doesn't exactly fly out the door. It's only fools like us that use it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and so, you know, most other people are buying newer stuff and that's yeah. what's in supply because they just can't keep up with the demand and uh, and a, a huge chunk of that stuff is actually made in Taiwan and they're just they're running you know 24 hours a day 365 days a year here making chips and they just can't make enough it's crazy I'm not quite sure I think it's the it's again I think it's the lockdown thing people are stuck at home they've been buying new computers and phones and goodness knows what uh, and I think that's that's just gobbled up all the world's inventory of bits and pieces Right. Okay. So, anything else you'd like to address uh, while we're, uh, we're we're still talking, or did we cover everything that you wanted to discuss? Uh, I'm pretty right. How about you guys? You got any other questions? Well, no. Could, could you, could you describe stick- how long the stick is, or how heavy the rock is? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Is, is, okay. is it a multi-rock game? That's what we want to know. <laughs> ah, there. See, that's a good question. Or a multi-stick game. That could also oh, be Oh, my game. goodness. <laughs> Sticks on rocks. <laughs> <laughs> that just, I don't know where that came from. It came out of thin air, so yeah, there you go. Okay. Well, I think we can thank you very much indeed, Mike, for taking time out on your Saturday evening, um, as, it, as it is there, and um, Saturday lunchtime as it is here, uh, to, to update us on all the latest developments at, at HomePin and... Uh, we look forward to hearing more about Stick on Rock and um, yep. as, as and when you're, uh, you're in a position to give more details. Right, and best yep, of Martin, luck with, the, with Jonathan, the design. Uh, yeah, Martin and Jonathan, thank you very much for having me and I'm uh, glad to uh, be able to say that HomePin is back on the map and back in business full-time and uh, back with a vengeance. I'm hoping later this year we'll probably surprise quite a few people when they find out what Stick on a Rock actually is. Amazing. Well, okay. I mean, well, but by the end of the year, obviously, um, as you said, you, you contractually required. Yeah, great. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Well, there you have it. Michael Linowski of HomePin announcing he hires uh, Joe Bolser and Jeff Bush uh, to uh, help out on the uh, yet-to-be-revealed licensed uh, game that will be coming out uh, later this year. Yeah, yeah the uh, American pinball uh, team there um, right so to, congrats uh, to uh, to mike and we look forward uh, to to seeing how things are developing yeah and um it was was interesting well a huge takeaways from there that um that, that they're not going to be building the china zombies game after all that's um we, there's just the one machine in the factory that they've mm-hmm. got 
and don't plan to go any further with that, which is kind of a shame. I'd like to like to see that. I'd like to yeah. see what, what they were going to do with it. Even if it's a more simplified game than, than we're used to, it would have been uh, would have been good for the Chinese market, I'm sure. But um, from, as you said, trying to get that from Taiwan into China is a whole different um, load of pain. So better better to uh, avoid all that and get on with their their licensed title, right? Which uh, they have to get done by the end of the year, as you said, in yeah. order to to meet the licensure requirements. So uh, so plenty of work to be done there by. Yeah. Um, by Jeff and um, and Joe and uh, the whole team at right. uh, Homepin. Yeah, I'm, it will be interesting to see how this uh, collaboration will uh, uh, turn out for all parties involved. Obviously, uh, Joe and Jeff working remotely. Uh, I suppose that's different than. I mean, with Jersey Jack, we've seen what ha- uh, how difficult it is to have a factory in one state and a design team in another. Uh, here, we're talking completely different continents. Yeah, well, Mike said that, that uh, they basically have to find somebody in America to make a, a whitewood for Joe uh, from his design, so he knows how how the game actually works. Right. So uh, it's a, a little a little odd, but it's, it's it's far from unique. You know, that's been done many times now with uh, design teams spread around the the world, and uh, so I don't think that's uh, that's as, as big a uh, obstacle as it as it once was. True, particularly, true. particularly with all these people working from home now, I think we're all getting used to to Zoom calls and and meeting calls and video conferencing and uh, collaboration, sharing screens, all that kind of stuff. So it's uh, right. it's a different world now to, to how it would have been. Uh, I don't know, maybe ten years ago. Right. Okay. Well, best of luck to uh, to Mike, Joe, Jeff, and everybody else uh, involved in that project. Uh, and yeah. we look uh, forward to seeing uh, uh, Stick on a Rock develop <laughs> yeah, exactly. anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although um, he, I mean, Mike did mention that they're also building boards at the yes. same time, so they're not uh, they're not focusing entirely. They've got a separate team working on the on the boards, and um, I think one of the most recent products they're, they're just bringing out is is a whole new batch of, uh, of getaway supercharger drivers. Yes, which um, is one of one of those things which um, you know high power bulbs they can uh, tend to burn up if they go badly wrong. Right. So the coils get um, all the driver transistors get latched on. There's a lot of power going through there to drive to fling that ball around the supercharger. So uh, those those boards will be available from home pin uh, either now or, or very very soon. Right, and if you are waiting for your uh, Thunderbird stopper, that should be coming out anytime soon as well. That's right. Although no more Thunderbirds. Um, yeah. So, that's uh, uh, number one and done. Yeah, not sure whether that's a bad thing. So, but <laughs> oh well, it's a learning process. Yeah. So, um, moving on to Multimorphic, the uh, the company uh, uh, founded by Jerry Stellenberg in uh, Austin, Texas. Yeah, well, certainly near Austin. Yeah, at uh, Round Rock. I yeah, think it was, that's wasn't true. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Originally, yeah. they were, I think, in Austin, and he moved uh, yeah. some time ago. Yeah, yeah. So, founded at at his home, in fact, which uh, had the the honor of visiting and seeing uh, the early days of Multimorphic with the the boards that he had uh, for the original P Rock um, running um, various games, including the uh, the Demolition Man on steroids. Which uh, of course came came from uh, from your country, but yeah. um, the yes, software, the yes. absolutely, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so their their um, their latest and greatest game is um, is Heist right. from uh, Stephen Silver. Yes, 
and uh, a new version of the code, version 1.0.1.3, for those keeping count, has just been released, and it includes a, a, a new feature, a, a, a multiball. breaking 15-ball multiball. Absolutely, which uh, exceeds the, I guess, what was the previous record of number of balls, which was 13 in Apollo 13. Right. So that's uh, claiming the record for that. We're not including games like uh, Hyperball, Rapid Fire, which aren't, aren't, don't have flippers. Although you get a lot more than 13 or 15 balls on right. the play field of that. And any one time, when were made by pinball companies, but uh, not pinballs and not full-size balls either. So, yeah, so, well, I guess congratulations to uh, Jerry, Stephen, and the team at Multimorphic in, in, in setting the new record of 15-ball yeah. multi-ball. Right. So, I'm not and, sure exactly how it will play, you know, how practical it is to flip 15 balls, but you probably have to let, you know, about first 10 of them drain to, to, uh, to actually be able to do anything useful. Yeah, um, I'm, not, I'm not sure either. The funny thing is, um, I think even already with uh, Lexi Lightspeed, the um, uh, the P3 uh, game itself is already mm-hmm. carrying. Oh, it's certainly uh, capable of carrying that many balls. I don't think there were that many. I think there may have only been ten balls installed. Yeah, I'm not not exactly sure, but I know but, there is underneath the playfield. Uh, yeah, uh, there's there's various. Yeah, the trough itself is capable of of, uh, of holding many more balls. I think it's up to something like nineteen balls could fit in the trough, which uh, doesn't sit at the front of the game, it sits at the back of the game on the, on the P3 and has right. uh, multiple up kickers uh, right. into, through various tubes. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's been designed ever since, uh, from the very beginning, to be able to cope with, with a large number of balls. And now finally there's a game there which, uh, in, in Heist which uh, is capable of, of utilising that feature. So, uh, well, great. Really interesting to see how it works. Right, yeah, can't wait to play it. And uh, um, I'm curious uh, whether it will be a mode that is easily uh, accessible or whether you really have to do uh, to get to the wizard mode, which might not be that easy. So. Yeah. yeah well, but then again, still record-breaking, so... Um, yeah, well, let's hope it's it's um, you know, promoted heavily on the uh, on the display to tell you that this thing exists and it's not something which uh, only you know, a few people will even know is there. Yeah. Right. Well, the difference with Apollo thirteen, of course, is that with Apollo thirteen you can actually see the the balls for the thirteen ball multi ball being stacked up on the ramp on the on the, on the left, I believe. Um, so. That's sort of a tease that you know that it uh, could be coming, you know. And uh, yeah, and they also had a, had a huge great topper on that game that said thirteen ball multi ball. Um, right. So it was it's advertising it, and it was on the on the display as well. And uh, yeah, it was uh, as well publicised that that existed. Getting to it was was harder, um, depending on uh, where uh, the previous player had left the game. You know, you had to spell out. Um, I forget what it was. Actually, I had to spell out on it, but uh, you, had to, you had to spell out the letters in order to start the multi ball, and uh, it carried over from ball to ball. Right. By default, didn't it? So uh, it may have been left in a really easy state for you just to make almost one shot and start it straight away. Right. So, anyway, uh, the designer of the heist game, uh, which we were actually talking about, mm-hmm. Stefan uh, Silver, was also a guest on the uh, Flipping and Mashing podcast, where he discussed the game and uh, the new multiple and and all that. So, if you want to find out more, check out the uh, Flipping and Mashing podcast as well. 
Excellent. Okay. Uh, so that's I think that's our, our multimorphic news over for for this month. Right now, so let's uh, move on to uh, sort of more traditional territory, uh, which we often start with, but uh, have been pushed well down the the list of, uh, of companies this month, and that's Stern Pinball. Yeah, well, and, and they've been it, busy. Uh, well, they have been busy, uh, but there's not that many, not that much news, I would say. Not yet. Uh, no, no. Um, there um, is a big rumor going around that uh, Stern is actually very likely to announce a new game um, uh, next week, uh, possibly on May the fourth, and it could be uh, Star Wars related well obviously May the 4th being Star Wars Day Mm -hmm. Uh, that theme being rumoured is The Mandalorian yeah Yeah. Um, well the good news is that's going to be another game I don't need to buy yeah same here Yeah, I've no idea what it's about Um, it seems to be getting a little bit um, esoteric these days picking picking uh, themes from TV shows which are on, you know, um, marginal TV networks and not readily available to most people unless you pay a subscription. And uh, we, we've had that with, like, Stranger Things as well, which neither of us have been watching. And uh, But it goes back a while, doesn't it? I guess we don't watch that much TV, do we? So we don't get to see most of these things. Yeah, we have, <laughs> we, we have actually busy lives and fun <laughs> lives, so we don't watch that much TV. No, no, I was thinking of um, uh, Walking Dead even back then. Uh, I, I just started watching Walking Dead myself. Cause, yeah, uh, I thought I, I heard you snoozing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or it snoring. Was, uh, um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's it's probably not uh, going to be a, a, a long-term watch for me. I mean, I got through one and a half seasons and I think uh, I've really given it a good shot. Okay. Well, you know, I, I felt a duty to it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's really, kind of lost me. At that you point. really sink your teeth into that. <laughs> oh, very good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, dear. But anyway, okay. So uh, uh, the Mandalorian is a Star Wars spin-off, I it suppose is. you can call yeah. it. Yes. Uh, On the baby, uh, baby Disney Yoda. Plus channel. Yeah. And uh, apparently, uh, some people find it uh, very entertaining. Mm, um, if it is a Star Wars spin-off. Um, and Stern would actually be going after uh, this this title, then I would probably. I feel we're getting a bit of Star Wars overkill. From yeah, Stern. I agree. And um, it seems like every time they they do a Star Wars game, there's always all these stories come out about what a nightmare it was to try and work with Lucasfilm on this and with Disney in order to get the assets that they need and um, trying to get approval on all this stuff and had to keep going back. And it's just, and they say, no, never again. We, we're going to do a star Wars game. And then and out comes the next star Wars game. Apparently so, they sell well. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, there, there are people who buy games based on theme alone, without even right. seeing them. And there are people who wait to see whether there are actually any fun to play. Right. And, uh, I think if you if you pick a Star Wars theme, then it's heavily skewed to the to the former group, and you can you can guarantee a minimum number of sales of of a machine, no matter how how it turns out. Right. Okay. Now, what's interesting is uh, one of my sources tells me that Stern actually has two titles ready to go, mm. and it's yet either they already decided, but uh, I don't know yet, or they still have to decide which title it's going to be. 
that other rumored title supposedly is uh, Godzilla. Yes. Designed by Keith Elwin. Well, we and knew we knew about that from ages ago when Spooky were trying to get that theme. Well, and, they actually had that theme. And yes. Then Stern um, basically offered more money and took it from them. Not in the in the sense that they took it from Spooky. They basically offered more money to the licensor, and they took it away from uh, the licensor took it away from Spooky because they went after the money. Mm-hmm. Well, as as Mike himself said, you know, when it comes to licensing, they're an interesting one thing, really. Um, right. And uh, that's that's the uh, that's the, the cash. So right. yeah, you you wave enough uh, enough notes or bills under their nose, they'll uh, that that will get you the license. Right. So, um, and in all uh, fairness, to to uh, uh, make the 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 rumors about the Mandalorian complete, that game is supposedly uh, designed by Brian Eddy, who yes. earlier did Stranger Things for uh, for Stern. But mm-hmm. you might also know him from Attack from Mars and Medieval Madness. Yeah, and The Shadow as well. Right. Yeah, and um, so the uh, uh, so it's either going to be apparently, according to the rumor mill. The Mandalorian or Godzilla, and Godzilla will be the Tozo version or Toho version, I believe, which is the um, the original song. Japanese. Yeah, I, I'm not sure whether it's the actual original, but at least one of the uh, classic Japanese Godzilla uh, uh, iterations, I would say. Right. Okay. So, so, so um, presumably, not not much in the way of uh, voice assets to be taken from that. Oh well, so it's a cheap game then. Yeah, exactly. Well, they, you know, they can't can't be accused of, of not paying for the voice actors, um, right? Uh, so. And uh, being people being disappointed because they have sound alikes or uh, or have a, a sort of fairly generic um, running commentary on the game. Right. So that's uh, so, that would be a good move. Oh, I mean, it kind of kind of follows the, their their trend of doing sort of cartoon versions of of themes, you know, like Deadpool and uh, Star Wars as well. Right. And, and Spider-Man too, so which gives them a lot more uh, uh, leeway to uh, to skew the storyline towards their you know, a, a more pinball-appropriate one, rather than having to follow a, a movie, which right. uh, is, is always you know with um, Godzilla. You know, it's there's a lot you can do with with the Godzilla, and uh, I'm sure that, uh, right. that that's exactly what they've done with um, with the original theme. Yeah, so Godzilla, of course, uh, um, fairly recently uh, also used in a Godzilla vs. King Kong movie. That's right, yeah. Uh, although that's not the the, the, uh, um, the theme of the game. But still, it's on people's minds. Uh, I, uh, I suppose it is, at least. So, But, okay, so um, those are just... Uh, that's the rumor mill. Uh, but there's actually also stuff that is actually factual. <laughs> For Storm Pimble, so let's talk about that. Um, they did um, collaborate with, um, not sure whether the company is called Nika or, uh, mm. but there is a sort of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles merchandise box, which is uh, for sale for uh, 49.96 American dollars at selected Walmart stores. Uh, the box itself contains um, uh, artwork by Zombie Yeti. 
Yep. And in there is, I believe, a T-shirt, a beanie, uh, um, a pizza magnet, which is uh, uh, in, in various slices. Yeah, that's um, right. Probably a couple of stickers and some other stuff as well. Um, There's a keychain and... Uh and I guess the probably oh, and the there's a, a big shredder. Uh, well, that's um, to say that that's the biggest element, really, the most valuable element, I think, of the whole box is this uh, this shredder action figure, right? Which uh, so. is, is in its own box, which, uh, which also is, looks quite attractive. I don't know whether the artwork on that box is done by uh, by Jeremy or not, but, um, but the overall box um, certainly does follow the, the the design of the of the pinball game and. Right. Uh, Looks great. Well the, well, the artwork of the pinball game. The, the, yes. The, yes. That's right. Okay. So, uh, so if you're into that, um, usually we don't pay that much attention to uh, to merchandise and so on. But I thought this was interesting to mention. Yeah, um, it seemed to sell out very quickly. I was uh, I was having a look to see uh, where it was available. And everybody was complaining that they missed out on the opportunity to buy it, and hmm. and one or two people said they walked into a store and they were amazed to find that they still had one on the shelf. Hmm. So. Okay. Um, well, it's $50, and I'm sure if you're a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fan, then uh, that would be something that you'd want to have in your collection. It's probably a cheaper topper than the... <laughs> <laughs> Anything is a cheaper topper. <laughs> okay, so anyway. Um, and what's also interesting to note, um, Stern uh, uh, is, is advertising... Uh, obviously, they're always looking for... Um, uh, publicity for their uh, their games, uh, as you know, and and they like to brag about all the press that they got with new releases and so on. But they're also advertising uh, their games. Mm. Um, one of the the, uh, the magazines that they are actually advertising Stranger Things in, uh, with a small uh, uh, banner at the bottom of a crossword page, crossword puzzle page. Sorry, is uh, uh, American Way, the magazine of American Airlines. And um, uh, I suppose another occasion, um, I'm receiving the uh, uh, the daily Intergame newsletter. Intergame is a, uh, a publication for uh, operators and uh, people uh, in, in the coin-op industry. Yep. And in that uh, daily newsletter, they also have a small banner which is uh, rotating um, uh, the, their latest titles basically uh, um, so Led Zeppelin is in there Avengers is in there, Stranger Things and, and, and th- those are rotating every seconds or every half right. seconds or something like that So, um, and that's a fairly, pr- fairly present uh, at the top of the newsletter or well it's not exactly at the top but right under the headlines so uh, a lot of people get to see that so um, potentially that's increasing their uh, um, sales Amongst uh, readers of Intergame uh, newsletter, I would say. So, figured I just mentioned that, uh, so you know that Stern is active in that area as well. Yeah, they're probably probably busy advertising elsewhere. That we just don't get to see it necessarily. But, well, yeah, uh, obviously we not seeing everything. But no, we only know what they put on their uh, on their social media feeds, mm. and all happen to pick up ourselves. But yes, yeah, so I'm looking at the uh, the American Way advert right now, and it's yeah, it's at the bottom of the page. Uh, strip with uh, three three shots of, of the Stranger Things machines. Um, n- not a lot of space to put a huge amount of detail in there, but it uh, you know it's for people who are who are bored and are sitting on an airplane and uh, what, nothing else to read then, or, or doing the crossword. 
which is the New York Times crossword. Um, then right at the bottom of the page is a stern pinball ad. So, uh, yeah, so it's not, nice reminder. Can, it's not that you, if you solve the crossword puzzle, you can win a, a <laughs> Strangest Things pinball machine, but okay, it's there. So Now, speaking no. of being bored, um, <laughs> what about code updates from Stern? Well, how can that possibly be boring? I mean, uh, Stern, Stern's code up. Well, anyone's Stern uh, updates are. Uh, oh no, it's very exciting. But just going over the list of what they all improved, I'm like, I'd rather just play the game instead of well, listing whatever yeah, they enhanced or or improved. Sure, you want to know what, what it is, how it's changed. You know, cause you might miss out on these things. Oh, surprise! Got an old version. Uh, well, I don't doubt I'm going to be able to do that. But um, yeah, okay. Led, Led Zeppelin's had a couple of code updates in April. Um, Version 1.01 on the 6th and 1.02 on the 14th. Actually, I have to to, to, um, um, uh, sort of make an apology, I would say, Uh, because when Led Zeppelin came out, I made a comment on this podcast where I was, uh, where I said it's probably going to take another year before uh, the code update would be get, uh, would be to uh, get to the level of Mm -hmm. 1.0. And, it's only been five, six months, and we're already at 1.02. Yeah. Well, I think credit is uh, is due to, to Stern and uh, and other companies as well. They've already been making a big push on getting their code updates out. So um, not just on uh, Led Zeppelin, but also on other titles like Avengers and uh, Stranger Things right. as well. Right, but so. uh, but yeah, okay, point taken. So uh, congratulations to Stern getting past that 1.0 mark, as they did, I think, back in March, I, th- I believe. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah or maybe maybe even February, but, but March, I think. But th- this month, um, yeah, the last version just was was a few bug fixes, version 1.02. But the early, earlier in, in April, uh, there was 1.01, which actually had a large number of changes and uh, and bug fixes and uh, quite a lot of changes uh, including uh, the addition of the band boost feature which uses the action button to uh, advance various features depending on where you are in the game and what's running at the time uh, also has a whole bunch more speech and it's something is interesting that uh, that uh, sort of leapt out at me was i said that there was a increase in the number of keyed sound effects now, keyed sound effects are ones which actually match the key of the song that's being played at the time. Right. So well, I thought that was quite clever. Uh, well, quite clever. I think um, uh, to, if you if you want to give credit where credit is due, then we have to look at Guns N' Roses, where um, that's been a feature from day one, uh, where, where Slash and uh, Duff and uh, the other guy recorded... Um, uh, musical parts and, and, and sound effects in the key of the song that could be playing. Um, so it's not something new, but I think it's the first time that Stern is addressing yeah, it as, a, as uh, the um, um, uh, sound effects being keyed, which makes sense in the music pin, because obviously what you don't want is a sound effect that's in a different key than the song, um, clashing with basically the song that's playing. No, it just makes you wonder what happens if there's a key change halfway or partway through the song. You know, do, do the sound effects all shift accordingly? Right. You know, did, is, there a, is, there a, is there a marker that's, uh, that goes along with the, with the soundtrack to tell you what key 
it's currently in. Right. Uh, well, uh, usually, unless there is a, a, a key shift, uh, usually, even if multiple chords are being used, it's still in the same key of whatever key yeah. you chose. But um, but then again, with the Zeppelin, uh, some of those songs mm-hmm. are rather com- complex. So. They are, yeah. Yeah, who knows? But anyway, that was just one of the things that, that leapt down to me. There's, there's some other things that uh, that, we'll, that we'll pick up on a, bit, a little bit later. Um, also in um, the latest version of Led Zeppelin is something that was introduced in the latest version of uh, Avengers Infinity Quest as well, 1.01 on the 8th of April. And um, along with a bunch of bug fixes and rule scoring balance changes, they also now allow you to update the software from a NTFS formatted USB stick. Previously, it just had needed to be FAT formatted. Uh, I can I can see how enthused you are by the, the prospect of not having to reformat your uh, USB stick were you to ever buy any of these games, Jonathan. But um, but there you are, you see. If, uh, oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> We're done with the code updates. <laughs> no, no, just getting started, no. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's about the end of it. Um, yeah, so in, uh, Avengers Infinity Quest, Quest uh, and Led Zeppelin code updates um, both can now be updated with... NTFS formatted USB sticks. So that's oh, exciting. Johnny Good. Oh. Yeah, I can really, hear the excitement in your voice. Yeah, it really made my day. So, um, moving on, uh, 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 one block further away, uh, Jersey Jack Pinball, still producing Guns N' Roses, which I expect they will be doing for quite some time. Is there actually any news? Because obviously they are working on Guns N' Roses, they have not revealed a new title. So, what news is there? Well, that's a good question. That's why we're here. And the, uh, I guess, the news is that um, a couple of uh, of key staff members from the company have retired in the, in the past month. Oh, that can't be good. Well, um, good, for them, good for them. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Wally Welsh, who I think uh, is quite quite well known, uh, Fernando Hurtado. Uh, maybe less well known, at least to me, anyway. But um, they both both left the company and retired, and uh, uh, a you, nice little retirement. Right. Do you know whether Fernando Hurtado is related to Rob Hurtado? I couldn't give a an answer to that one. I'm afraid. Okay. So uh, well, I, I remember Rob Hurtado working at Capcom um, in the uh, mid '90s. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, well remembered. Um, but anyway, neither of them are working uh, at Jersey Jack Pinball anymore. So we just, um, wish them both long and happy retirements. Right. And um, I understand that, uh, that Jersey Jack Pinball have also been uh, using their, their social media feeds to, to show some of the, the prototype mechs they, from their games. Um, yes. You probably know more about that than I do. Well, yeah, I think they showed uh, how the, um, uh, uh, the Gobstopper um, uh, plunger... Uh, was made, um, or or, or uh, uh, the toy. There's there's a special mold for that. They showed some pictures of that, and they also showed the old original uh, prototype for the uh, spinning house in the Wizard of Oz. A couple of pictures. Oh that. yes, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. There's quite a few versions of that uh, were were produced by uh, Dennis. Right, Dennis uh, Norman. That is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, well. Um, Tying in with these retirements, um, mm. obviously it's not that easy to, to, to find good personnel these days. 
Because I understood uh, Jersey Jack is looking for personnel. They are indeed. They got uh, or had ten job vacancies going at the company. Some of those may have been filled by the time you uh, you hear this. So if you're thinking of applying, then uh, well, they'll probably still be interested in hearing from you. But uh, yeah, they're looking for a buyer, prototype, model maker. Going back to the uh, Wizard of Oz, uh, direction a uh, director of production which uh, is an interesting position, uh, which I think was, was probably what, uh, well, it was what Jim Pat- well, I thought it was what Jim Patler was originally going to be uh, doing when he, when he went to interview, wasn't he? But, yeah, and then uh, he became COO. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, uh, <laughs> so that position is even, still vacant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a logistics specialist, a bill of materials specialist, uh, as everyone always uh, stresses how important the bill of materials is in, uh, in production of any game. Right. Um, a mechanical design engineer, quality control specialist, a warehouse associate, production support associate, and another warehouse associate. Um, right. The last four are, are hourly rates. Uh, the the others are, seem to be very well paid jobs, from what I can see. Like, uh, well, it, it, it but, depends, of course, on what your uh, life standard is and what you're used to. But, yeah, uh, well, mechanical design engineers they're, they're quoting seventy to eighty thousand dollars a year for that. Right. Uh, uh, a buyer, sixty to seventy thousand. The same for a prototype model maker. Oh, so you should have gone to school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> certainly should have gone to learn learn. Um, I don't know um, model making, I suppose, and and being any good at it. Uh, director of production, eighty to ninety thousand. If uh, if that fits in with with your well, skill set, looks like they got some budgets. Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of money being spent on pinball by the looks of it. But those, those yeah. were the jobs that were available um, in April. Um, they may have been filled or may have, may have drawn up a short list of candidates by now. But uh, either way, um, it's interesting to see that Jersey Jack Pinball have, have still got all these vacancies and uh, obviously expanding the company in, in big ways, despite uh, those two retirements that we mentioned well, earlier. It's interesting, the two retirements, two, ten job vacancies. I mean, those people really leave a gap. <laughs> yeah, they're doing the job of five people. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> right, okay, so I suppose uh, there's also code updates from Jersey Jack. Oh, you bet. Yeah. Oh, okay, I, let I me can, get my pillow. I can hear the excitement in your voice just, just even mentioning it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, what about Willy Wonka and Guns N' Roses get the, get the, uh, the code updates this month? Um, both have had two updates. Both, uh, both of their secondary updates were just minor bug fixes to fix uh, the same fault that was introduced in, in the first update for both of them okay. but um but uh, we won't go into exactly what all the details are because uh, i'm sure if you want to want to know all that you can uh, you can go to the website and find out for yourself but they have um introduced so this, this beta testing channel uh, for the game software which means that if you want to you can sign up to be a beta tester or beta tester as they say in america and uh, you will get pre-release versions of the software for you to install and report back on on any bugs or issues that you I, find. I think, oh, that sounds very interesting. I sign up right away. Does, does that come with a free game? Sadly, not. No, I think it's the other way around. You need to have the game first, and then you can sign up for to to be a tester. Ah, oh, too bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, it doesn't quite work that way normally. Um, although in software, it sometimes does. But this is um, software. Well, it's software testing on a hardware 
platform which you have to already own so okay. the idea is that if you want to um get involved with that you, you contact jersey jack pinball or you can email beta or beta at jerseyjackpinball.com um they prefer you to use the telegram messaging system to uh, send your reports in so you can communicate with them and give them feedback direct one-to-one and they can sort of come back to you and say, well, have you tried, can you try this? What about if that happens? And that kind of thing. Um, there's no standard software support available for this. So if something breaks, it's, they don't guarantee to fix it in, in the beta. Cause it well, that's may... always good to know that your, your $12,000 machine, uh, <laughs> you ruined it yourself by testing our premature software and yep. screw you. Yeah, maybe it's burst into flames as they forgot to do something. I don't know. But um, hopefully it won't, won't be like that. Um, so that's available anyway. And if you want to, you want to be part of that and, and get, get a first look at uh, new ideas and new, th- new features before they go into the mainstream, then you can join up for that channel and, uh, and test out the, the new software. Okay, well, that's kind of exciting, I suppose, if you, if you have a game. Um, so, uh, oh, well. And, um, so the, I'll also add there was one one new th- little thing that uh, tweaked my interest, just like the uh, the keyed sound effects did, in um, in the version one point three six of, of Willy Wonka software. There's a note in there that says that they've added a shaker motor option to the Matrix swish, switches test. So uh, the switches, obviously, uh, are, the, are the, the the things on the playfield that detect where the ball is, and um, there's a, there's a test in there to to where you can you know, press the switches and see what whether the game registers them correctly, and sometimes those switches can get a bit flaky or a bit maladjusted and start activating just if you sort of thump the playfield. Um, but the the note in um, 1.36 of uh, software for Willy Wonka says added a shaker motor option to matrix switch switches test to help find flaky switches without having to pound on the playfield which is right. kind of the traditional way of finding a, a switch which well, is registering when it shouldn't do you, you thump the play build but now you can use the shaker motor to shake the game instead well, actually i'm surprised nobody has thought of that uh, before because obviously uh, uh, this is a um, a common problem um and um well okay good good for them for for thinking of that i think it's very mm. clever yeah, me too. So I thought I'd pick it out and uh, add it to our otherwise unexciting uh, software code. Well, thank updates. you for that for for <laughs> making code updates more exciting. I, I try. Right. Okay. Um, I suppose that rounds it up for Jersey Jack Pinball. I think it does. So let's head a little bit nearer to to your home yeah. and see what's been going on with Barry and Co over at Dutch Pinball. Right. Okay. So well, um, I mentioned earlier I was talking to Barry last night and. Um, um, last month, the earlier announced uh, code update for uh, Big Lebowski. Yes, I know I'm guilty of code updates discussing them <laughs> myself. I realize that very well. Uh, that was finally released. If you want to know what's in it, then look it up on the internet. Um, but it does include extra ball opportunities, bonus multipliers, nihilist showdowns, edible, new callouts, more bug fix, debug information, better compensation for faulty bowling mechanism, lots of bug fixes, and much more. Okay, so... Uh, but but it's a big update, so if you uh, are one of yeah. the uh, lucky owners of a Big Lebowski game, then uh, it's definitely recommended to get the latest update. The game is obviously... Uh, the Big Lebowski, that is, is a 
still in production, uh, but the company is uh, suffering from supply chain issues, as are many companies at the mm, moment. As we heard from Mike earlier. Yeah. There's a, um, a, a chip shortage. Yep. Um, which is affecting um, uh, Dutch Pinball slightly. And getting anything shipped over in, uh, in containers takes yes. a lot longer, and it's a lot yep. more expensive. Yeah, exactly. And um, uh, hopefully, Barry is expecting the supply chain issues to be over by mid-June, but, uh, well, I can only hope so, uh, but it could also be wishful thinking. Well, it's not really in, in his gift to say that, is it? It's, uh, it's just however long it takes for the rest of the world to catch up. Yeah, the, the, the biggest problem is right now, um, obviously, they are, uh, everybody's trying to, to source parts, and it's basically his full-time job right now is sourcing parts to keep the production going. Um, but there's also some news that hasn't been announced yet, and uh, so we have a little scoop. Um, and that relates to the um, uh, the bride of pinbot. Sorry for that. <laughs> the bride of pinbot uh, upgrade kit. Uh, if you remember, that was one of the first products that Dutch Pinball put out, uh, where you can actually install a um, an LCD display uh, instead of the alphanumeric display uh, for your uh, bride of pinbot with completely updated code and and uh, what have you. And converts it to a, a P Rock game, I think. Yes. Yeah. yeah, correct. So um, um, they are going to be running a new batch of Bride of Pinbot kits, and it's going to be the final batch of Bride of Pinbot kits that they will be manufacturing. So after these these are done, then it's no more Bride of Pinbot kits. And these kits are, are pretty comprehensive as far as what they can what they contain. And they've got a whole computer and uh, and the display and. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, and all, all the new code, the version 2.0 code right. in there as well. So, now, it's funny that you mentioned the computer, because actually that's the one part that Dutch Pimble is currently still uh, looking for, finding a suitable mini PC to uh, to run this kit on, uh, because apparently uh, due to the chip shortage, it's very difficult to find that right uh, mini PC. Um, and... Um, Oh well, so so they are looking into that, and um, I'm sure <coughs> sure they figure out how to do it uh, or or get it working in a, in a different way. But mm. well, it's a, as you said, it's a P Rock based system, so it runs from a PC over USB, and um, yeah, it does need a a moderately capable PC, but uh, not not hugely powerful. But it's, it's got to drive the display from that and uh, I don't think it's going to be impacted by the shortage of uh, of graphics cards which is uh, currently hitting the world and, and pushing prices way up into ridiculous levels because I think it's it's probably sufficiently um, undemanding on these graphics requirements that it can use built-in graphics right. but uh, okay. but yeah as, as you say you know all all processors these days are uh, quite difficult to come by right so, um, and in case uh, you're wondering, well, if they're still building the Big Lebowski and they're going to be building these kits, how are they going to do that? And oh, uh, Barry explained to me that the uh, plan is that they will be building the Big Lebowski during the week and the Bright Up Pimot kits will be built during the weekends by a different team. Oh, right. So, seven-day-a-week so operation. There's a, there's a weekend shift and uh, those will be building the Bright Up Pimot kits. 
Right. Okay. And that's about all the news from Dutch Pimble I can share. Okay. Very good. Okay. We should probably just mention there are actually two two software updates to the code uh, in um, in April. Right. Uh, but um, the main one, uh, version 0.54, which came out at the beginning of April, and then 0.55 came out a bit later. Um, first one was um, was fairly minor, but then the second one was was a major one, which everybody's excited about, and was the one you were talking about before. So okay. 0.55 is the current. Right. Okay. So let's um, moving on to uh, Spooky Pinball. Yeah, um, we're constantly um, updating you on on their expansion plans. And you know, last time we were talking about that they're, they're them getting a new larger premises or extending their existing premises, and uh, with that means that they need more people, which is uh, you know a, a consequence of becoming a, a larger company. And um, although you know they're, they're still they're still building the Rick and Morty games. Although they they've got to be coming towards reasonably close towards the end of, of that run, I'd have thought. Yeah, no, actually that's true because uh, Ben Heck mentioned that uh, he's testing a um, a new driver board for the uh, the game that will be following Rick and Morty. Um, Which we don't know what it is yet. We, we don't we know don't. what it is. The only thing we know about it is uh, something that uh, Charlie revealed on a, on, a, on a podcast. I can't remember which one. Sorry for that. Um, but uh, that game will have uh, habit rails, which are manufactured by a, by a company in a nearby town. And um, as there aren't any habit rails on Rick and Morty, that means it's for their upcoming game because they're not rerunning any older games. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ben Heck mentioned that that New game uh, should go into production in June, which means that the production run of Rick and Morty is almost finished. Right. Well, if you're actually going into production in June, then um, either they're going to announce it this month or next. So right. we so, should expect a, an announcement from Masuki Pinball fairly soon as to what right. uh, the, the next title is going to be. Right. And if you're interested in buying that, uh, title. It's probably uh, you should know that uh, in order to uh, be able to order it, you should be a Spooky Pinball Fan Club member, and that's an annual subscription, um, which uh, basically um, gets renewed every year with a new um, uh, how do you call it? A special sort of merchandise package mm-hmm. that you get for your uh, subscription, uh, and once you're a member, then you're Enable to uh, to order a new game. Yeah, so you, you get advanced um, options on, on ordering it. I don't think it's really, um, on some games. Um, I think Rick and Morty. You had to be a member, didn't you, in order to yeah. to order? Yeah. Unless you, unless you were buying from a distributor, of course. In which case, you can buy it from your distributor. Um, that that wasn't a requirement. But if you wanted to order it directly from Spooky, you had to. Right. So, um, um, but then what happened with Rick and Morty? They sold 750 games in four hours, while they basically had originally a two-week window for fan club members to order the game, and after that, other mm. people could order it. Well, we <laughs> never got that far. No, no, that's true. And uh, you know, that, that may well be the case that uh, we were talking earlier about the same situation with Haggis Pinball. You had to be a Haggis Clan member um, in order to get in that, that two-hour, oh, sorry, two-day 
uh, pre-order window. Right. And maybe, I don't know, maybe all the uh, all the Mermaid editions sold out in that time. I don't know. Right. So Now, the interesting thing about the, um, uh, the upcoming game is that they're uh, Charlie Expressed. It's not a one-designer type of game, but there's actually input from a lot of people working at Spooky Pinball. And, um, and apparently, while that can work against the game, in this case, it actually worked for it. So the game kept uh, getting better and better with everybody chiming in uh, with suggestions. Uh, making it a game that's apparently very different, and it's making me very curious to see what it is. Yeah, and what what the theme is. Yeah, right. So, oh, well, you mentioned the the fan club earlier. Uh, well, I think they've they've made uh, the the late Bella Lugosi, uh, who died in 1956, um, is the the posthumous fan club president. I right. Believe. Well, at least his family has uh, has agreed to to uh, to give him that uh, that particular honour of uh, a president role in the club. I don't think um, death is necessarily uh, a restriction on uh, on Apparently being the president. No, for for a spooky company, it doesn't have to be. No, <laughs> no, no. Well, he's 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 uh, probably going to hold that that position uh, for the uh, immediate future, anyway, and. Right. So well, I, I, I uh, well, he, um, uh, Bella Lugosi is featured on the artwork on uh, so, uh, some of the elements of the uh, fan club uh, merchandise, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. So uh, that makes sense, I suppose. And uh, presumably, somebody's done the artwork for for that. Then, There's been yeah, um, and I got that written here. Bill Rood did the artwork. Ah, okay, okay. Not not a name I'm familiar with, but. Uh, yeah. Not I yet. have all his records. <laughs> and if he wants them back, he can contact me. <laughs> hey. <laughs> oh. So, uh, some, anyway. Some jokes never get tired. That's not Apparently, uh, no. no. So, <laughs> no. Um, slightly related, I'm jumping uh, to uh, Chicago Gaming. Oh, hang on. We have, we, we have, oh. we got, we got a code update. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, my God. You can't, you can't just skip those. Oh my God, it's the most important part of the show. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, it's a, a part of the show, anyway. Uh, yeah, Rick and Morty, of course, uh, the current game. Got, next, uh, thing, next thing you know, you, you're going to want a special jingle for an now, code update. Now, that's a good idea. Yeah, if you can come up with something that's sort of digital sounding and uh, sounds like a computer code running, yeah, or, an, or an updating message, that would be great. Yeah. Nothing, nothing from uh, Hal in uh, two thousand and one. Um, yeah, so uh, Rick and Morty uh, build twenty twenty one oh four oh five adds um, a whole new adventure. Uh, goodbye, Moonman. Um, adds a new uh, what they call a vanity high score, which is uh, not a high score of anything really, but it's the uh, one of those achievement things, which is the most Jerry. Uh, and several changes, I think. I think there have been a few issues with the flippers on uh, Rick and Morty and uh, the, the fact that when the ball hits them hard, the flipper can fall down, or what they call a knockdown. Well, they've um, tried to uh, do a number of different uh, software improvements to try to prevent or to overcome that issue. And there are some extra power settings which you can dial in if you suffer from that, or well, your game suffers from that. Uh, but th- there is danger that you can... Um, can generate a lot of heat because the flipper is held on uh, high power for longer 
than is is normally the case. So you can set that up, but um, they advise don't do it unless you you particularly have this problem because um, too much heat might be generated, uh, which is always always a problem with <coughs> with coils. If people think they can just drive them and drive them, drive them, there'll be no issues. But yeah, they get yeah, oh, I get a flashback of uh, Marsa play in um, at EAG with their. Um, uh, new Canasta game. New Canasta, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Where they had to replace the playfield uh, midday uh, because the coils were fried. <laughs> no yeah. end of stroke switch or anything like that. And and the people just pushed the button for 10 seconds and smoke came out of the playfield. It was held on high power the entire time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. They live and learn. Well, I didn't learn for very long because they're not making any more games, but uh, not making any more of those games anyway. That's for sure. Right. So, yeah, sorry, anyway. carry on. Let's move. Yeah, so Chicago Gaming is slightly related mm. as they are working on a, a, a Ben Heck game together with Spooky Pinball. And uh, speaking of which, uh, Ben Heck indicated that uh, there are two other games one remake game and one original uh, design, uh, original title mm-hmm. uh, that's going to be in front of his, uh, his game and that they are still uh, uh, tweaking. Uh, his game design, uh, as far as the upper playfield goes, uh, it's still seeing some changes. So um, it's not. Uh, it's going to take some time before that game actually will hit the uh, the production run. But at least, uh, although Chicago Gaming didn't have or announce any news uh, themselves, we now know that they are at least working on a remake title and an original title. Yeah, I think I think we uh, discussed some of this in uh, in last month's podcast as well yeah i don't remember <laughs> yeah it was um it was mixed in with minor information between all the code updates i think oh uh, god yes definitely <laughs> yeah so you may have may have nodded off at that point but yeah um yeah i think um the the interesting takeaway from that is that um is that ben's game has an upper play field for a start right which uh, yes which we didn't know before um, and it's still in development, and I think we know we, we were discussing when it was uh, likely to to hit the line, based on the fact it was number three after um, the remake and the original title, uh, neither of which um, have have been announced um, officially. Yes. Yeah. Um, or look like they're going to be announced anytime soon. Right. Okay. So, well, that yeah. wraps it up for Chicago Gaming for now. Yeah, let's uh, let's head on um, over to the the Pinball Brothers um, and see how they're doing because they they have actually been producing games uh, in the same way that Chicago Gaming have, and well, in fact, everyone that we've mentioned so far has been producing games. Um, the very few companies out there who who aren't, uh, but Pinball Brothers have been uh, well, as you know, they they contracted Pedretti in uh, Italy to build the the uh, Alien games. And, um, well, it seems like Pedretti have been uh, going at it full tilt and have been churning out games. Yes. Um, we've seen uh, a couple of teases, I would say. Uh, first, there was a, a photo showing six games mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, altogether. And yeah. uh, that was followed by a photo of uh, 12 games uh, built uh, and being tested, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, but so. um, in addition to that, we know that they have actually uh, been been shipping games, and some of them have been turning up at buyers' homes. So the the games are out there, and um, 
yeah, I was watching a video, and I think you were as well, uh, from uh, on YouTube from uh, yeah. Retrosengo. Ren- yes. Yeah, done a, done a nice job of uh, sort of unboxing. Well, it's two videos, in fact, of uh, yeah. of the Alien game, uh, the, the new version. And he yeah. he has both games. He has the original version and the new version. So yes. you, you can compare them side I by really side. Ha- I, I have to say the new version looks a lot better than the highway version. You think and so? Basically, yeah, I think so. Because, well, the... the, the um, uh, the highway version has that that green frame around the playfield, um, and I think the new version doesn't have that, and that really opens it up a lot more, making it look a lot more attractive. Well, the green presumably is is the limited edition version, yes, on the on the old version. On right. The, well, on the other yeah. one, uh, else it's it's just a metallic frame, I suppose, but still. Yeah, well, um, the the original one did have the sort of um, much wider, much larger um, cassette that held the glass and was the frame for the or the kind of the side rails as well. So that that was a that was a thicker edge and more prominent than than the new one, which just has the you say it has the the, the steel um, side rails that we're right. very familiar with and, and are less obtrusive. But um, but yeah, it was interesting to watch. Uh, there's, there's obviously some teething troubles with uh, the, the the game in the, in uh, in Retrosengo's video. There were um, yeah, it, two cables switched. The two audio cables were switched. Yeah, I still don't think he got them the right way around in the end. Having looked at because one of the interesting things I, I did spot from all that is that Pinball Brothers have on their website schematics for for a lot of their stuff. So you can oh. see all the wiring, you can see the boards, you can see. Um, you can see the computer boards. You can see the driver boards. You can you can see where the display, the back box, the cabinet wiring. It's all there to, to have a look at. And um, so you can build one yourself. It, well, in theory, it doesn't tell you what's actually inside some of those boxes. But uh, on the on the display thing, where he was um, in the in the YouTube video, he was replugging speakers because the the subwoofer wasn't being fed from the the correct output. They're being plugged into the wrong output. I think when it was built. Uh, I think he still had the left and right the wrong way around, according to that, because you would th- you would naturally assume that the leftmost connector goes to the left speaker and the rightmost connector goes to the right speaker. That depends on which way you look at it. Well, looking at it from the front rather than from inside the back box. Um, but 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 either way, um, it's not that way round, according to the diagra- diagram. Anyway, on the, on the website, uh, the left is on the right and the right's on the left. Only you would look that up. Well, yeah, you know, I was interested in that because I seen it on the video, and uh, he was he was plugging them up and saying, "Well, this one must go to that, that one must go to that," because he can't see it because there are no labels, so and he can hardly get to it either because it's right underneath the display panel. Um, mm-hmm. So, but but he was very enthusiastic about when he got the subwoofer working, and uh, that made the game really really come alive. But uh, I think, he's, uh, judging by that, we still got the left and right speakers reversed. But anyway, all that stuff okay. is available on the uh, Pinball Brothers website if you're interested in seeing how the game is put together. Okay, cool. So, um, well, we were talking <laughs> about companies delivering games, and the next company is actually not doing so at the moment, Deep Root Pinball. Yeah, well, we, we weren't expecting any more news because uh, Robert, in his last update newsletter, did say they wouldn't be doing a monthly, uh, first of the month, update or end of the previous month update and would wait until mid-May until they updated buyers on uh, the progress of uh, Retro Atomic Zombie Adventureland and true to his word and this time 
there has been no update. So um, hopefully in the middle of, of this month, there will be one. And uh, in our, our uh, podcast at the start of June, when we look back at, at May, we'll be able to bring you the latest news from, from Deep Root Pinball and, uh, and how far or how much closer they are to getting the, those Raza games to uh, the people who have ordered them. Right. Okay. So American Pinball. Well, exciting news from American Pinball uh, didn't come out this month, um, so there wasn't any. Okay. Pinball Adventures. Uh, see above, I, I'd say, really, uh, for, for them. Um, no, no update yet on uh, the Punny Factory or any of the other Pinball Adventure titles that are in the, uh, the pipeline. Okay. Um, I suppose that rounds up the, uh, the Pinball Industry uh, news. Yeah, the, the companies at least, but we have plenty of other news ah, from, okay. uh, regarding the pinball uh, business and, and the hobby. Uh, do you want to do you want to start off with with some of that? Um, yeah, I suppose. Um, I'm not that well. This one is interesting. Uh, Susan Ciani, mm-hmm. who we uh, all know as the uh, the voice of Xenon and uh, a female pioneer in the world of synthesizers, uh, has been uh, featured in a new movie called Sisters with Transistors. Yeah, uh, it was uh, it was released on the twenty third of April. A day after my birthday. Well, almost in homage to you, then, I'm sure. They obviously obviously moved it a day. They want to clash. Very kind of them, yes. Yeah, Yeah, it's... um, I I heard about this. Uh, I was was driving into work, and I heard on the radio that they were doing a program about about female pioneers of uh, electronic music. Uh, Unfortunately, the program wasn't on when I was in the car, and it was on when I was uh, on the underground and couldn't listen to it. But I did hear about it, and it was all to tie in with this uh, this movie, Sisters with Transistors, uh, which, uh, according to the the uh, information about the program, says uh, that the movie is uh, is all about unsung female pioneers of electronic music, and features women like Clara Rockmore, Suzanne Ciani, and Delia Derbyshire of the Doctor Who theme fame. And is narrated by Laurie Anderson, who uh, is obviously well known as well as, as a musician. Mm-hmm. Uh, celebrates the achievements of women whose male counterparts took center stage in historic historical narrative around a groundbreaking electronic composition. Right. So, uh, um, so, so unsung so heroes. Yeah. Yes. So good for Susan Tiani to be uh, featured in a film uh, once again. Yeah, it's not well, the first time that she's uh, featured in a movie. No, we haven't seen it yet, have we? Either of us. So. I haven't seen uh, the, the this is with transistor. Transistor. Uh, there is a uh, um, on YouTube. Um, there is a uh, um, uh, recording of a Zoom meeting with the maker of the movie and Susan Ciani uh, being interviewed. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, which you can watch for free. So that's that's. One thing, and I think if you want to watch the movie, um, you can uh, basically uh, buy a, uh, a stream for mm-hmm. ten dollars. Okay, great. Well, let's uh, let's, let's do that and uh, look forward to, to hearing all about um, the female pioneers of electronic music. Right. So uh, yeah, but uh, well, good for Susan Tiani, who obviously did a lot more than just uh, doing the sound yes. for uh, uh, for Xenon. Yes, but sure. that's in our community that what she's most known for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. so that was some good news. Some some uh, sad news. 
though, is next with the uh, reports of the death of Chris Walsh, who was, uh, well, one of the key organisers of the Northwest Pinball and Arcade Show right. up in um, Tacoma, or else in Seattle, back uh, when it first started. Uh, Chris, great guy. I, I think we've both met him, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've only been to the show once. Uh, obviously, I met him there. Very, very nice guy. Uh, very, um, um, uh, what's the word? Um, well, I was well, he was incredibly helpful and, and, uh, passionate yeah, about, about the show and in helping, helping get the word out and, and also in, in helping to raise funds for, uh, the, the show's charitable, um, donations, which uh, was uh, a key part of that, that show. And uh, I, I, every time I've ever spoken to Chris, I've always sort of you know, seen him and said, you know, it's okay if I set up a laptop here so I can I can write reports. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, no problem. Yeah, you set up there, let me know if you need anything, you've got power, you know, you've got internet and all that stuff. Yeah, he was very helpful guy. Absolutely, yeah. And so sad to hear of his, uh, his passing, um, which was uh, as a result, really, of, of having contracted COVID, not in the way that uh, we were talking about contracting things before, but he, yeah, he got COVID and um, thought he was recovered and was about to go home, and then he had a heart attack, which which ultimately killed him. And uh, I think um, everyone who ever met him will will be so saddened to hear about that. And uh, I'll never I'll never forget the uh, the many uh, the cans of uh, almond rocker which he used to uh, distribute around the show, particularly on the Sunday, uh, the last day of the show, as it was getting towards closing time, as a sort of thank you. So uh, here's to you, Chris. Yeah, my sympathies as well to his families and condolences, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, um, moving south uh, a little bit, um, the Las Vegas Pinball Hall of Fame has held their uh, soft opening at their new location, for which they... um, uh, Created a, a a minor sign at the front of the building. I would think. <laughs> yeah, easily um, missed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it says it's basically the entire front of the of the building uh, has the word pinball painted on it, and that's probably one of the largest billboards, uh, non-electronic billboards you will find in Las Vegas, I suppose. Um, but um, they are open at the new location. Uh, they have uh, about 500 games set up. And um, they're open daily from uh, 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. Uh, the official uh, opening is scheduled for uh, Ju- uh, July 1st. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I suppose they're, uh, the, the idea is to get uh, to 700 games inside the building. So they're still... Uh, moving games in and setting up and so on, but but you can already attend uh, if you're curious. And, uh, yeah, I think I think in order to get in for the soft opening, you need to buy a twenty dollar t shirt from the uh, merchandise desk, which is uh, straight there as you go in the building. That then at allows least finally you... they have a merchandise desk. Yes, I know. Yeah, they're getting their act together, um, and that then allows you to to come in for the soft opening. And as I understand it, um, they are constantly moving games in from both the old location and also from storage. Uh, and I've, I've also sort of been told that the old location is, is pretty sort of denuded of games these days. So if you were wanting to go to the Hall of Fame, it may not really be worth going to the old location. Just go to, not that it costs anything to go to go in, 
of course, anyway, so you can always go in and, and have a look and see where they were. But um, the new location is where all, all, all the games are, are heading now, and uh, hopefully it won't be long before, well, I said the 1st of, April, 1st of uh, July is the, it's the planned opening party, the official opening party for the new location. But, uh, yeah, you can go in and have a look at it. Um, they, there are various bits they still need to do. Uh, in particular, getting the projections on the walls, which is uh, one of the one of the exciting new features of, uh, of the new location, as if there aren't enough, along with the restrooms and uh, everything else in there. Uh, so it's still a work in progress. Hence the fact it's not uh, not a hard opening. It is still soft, and there's still there will be people moving around, setting up games while uh, while you're there if, uh, until the first of July. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's exciting times and. Um, we, again, we, we have to congratulate um, all those involved in both the fundraising and in the the building and the and the uh, and the move from right. the old location to the new one. It's uh, and, that, and that sign is uh, is, is really something. Uh, I still got to put the sign up actually on the street. I haven't seen that yet, which uh, which is going to be something as well. A very very sort of in keeping with the Welcome to Las Vegas sign that's uh, just down the street. Right. Uh, welcome, sorry, welcome to fabulous Las Vegas. Let's right. get that right. So yeah. I'm still curious whether they would uh, are, are going to light up the um, uh, the front of the building that says pinball. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, uh, having this huge sign is one thing, but it's uh, if it goes dark and it, um, I mean, it's very easy to 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 put some mm. light strips around it and uh, uh, spell out the word pinball. So oh, speak, just know. just light the whole front of the building with floodlights at night. Oh, that, well, that could work too, but it's Las Vegas, you know. So, come on. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> True. So, uh, but then again, uh, obviously, the Pinball Hall of Fame is, uh, uh, or Tim Arnold is known for not wasting any any money on stuff that you don't need. So, well, I think they're going maybe a, a, a step beyond that these days with the with the new place to try and i think what, what they do now is is get it spend the money once um because it's part of the initial build cost and then try to go for things that don't cost a lot of money to maintain hmm. okay so now speaking of uh uh pinball museums mm, yeah well, i could guess the hall of fame is a museum of, of sorts um but the the museum of pinball which is um, across in, um, well, in California. Banning, uh, Banning California, yes. Yeah, currently in Banning, uh, is, is mooting a, a move to, um, to a more central location in, in Palm Springs. Yeah, um, which is not that far away. Actually. It's not, no. I, I don't know exactly how far it is, because I, I always come to uh, Banning from Los Angeles side rather than from Palm Springs. Right. So I, I've never actually been to Palm Springs despite having gone to Banning many times. But um, but everyone was saying that uh, Palm Springs would be a, a much better location for it. But, of course, with being a city, it's going to have a lot more expense compared to being out in the middle of the desert where Banning is. Right. But well, the problem that, with Banning is that, that the museum is uh, only allowed to be open a couple of days a year. Uh, and if you want to run a museum, um, you probably want to be open all year round. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it just um, just opens for a few specific events, um, probably like uh, I don't know four times a year, 
which yeah, is something like that. Yeah. Which is such a such a waste, really, for for such a, an amazing collection. Although obviously, the, the more you're open, the more maintenance you have to do, as uh, as we've seen with uh, the the, the uh, Las Vegas Pitbull Hall of Fame. Right. So, but uh, yeah, they're looking to move to uh, uh, Palm Springs. Um, so, what are the details? What can you tell us? Well, the the, the plan is, although this hasn't been confirmed yet, um, there's the an old newspaper building, the Desert Sun, uh, which is at 750 North Gene Autry Trail in uh, Palm Springs, which I'm sure you're very familiar with. Oh, yeah, and, multiple uh, times. Yeah, of course. And um, it's been for sale since October. Um, now, the, the plan isn't for for John Weeks, who um, who, run, who owns the museum, to actually buy it, because there's, there's a list price of $7.5 million on, uh, on that building. But uh, another company called Industrial Realty Group, they are planning to build it and build it, buy it, and um, and then the museum would be a, a tenant of that. Okay. And if it goes ahead as planned, then the new museum would be seventy-seven thousand square feet, compared to the current forty-four thousand square feet in the, wow, in the Banning almost, location. Almost twice the size. It is, yeah. And the plan is to have. Um, 1900 pinball and arcade games on display and that would probably be the largest collection on the planet i would say i think it would have to be and and also and here's probably the key thing to be open every day um from 11 a.m to 8 p.m and that would involve uh, a staff of uh, of 60 people some volunteers some employees and um it would be well it would be uh, awesome, really, to have all that. Um, it would obviously involve an awful lot more maintenance, as we were saying earlier, compared to opening four times a year. Because if you open it, only open once every three months, then you've got the best part of three months to get the games back into working condition. Right. If you're open from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day, you've um, you've only got um, 15 hours between uh, closing and reopening again to get everything sorted. Right. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's just see how things develop uh, in in Belling slash uh, Palm Springs. Yeah. Well, they, they haven't bought Industrial Realty, haven't bought the, the building yet, and uh, John hasn't um, got uh, his space within the building either yet. So there's still a few steps to go, but um, it's it's a positive move to get into. I mean, we we've been there. Well, we yeah, we've both been there several times, and Banning is. Well, it's not really anything very much, is it? It's not much of a place. It's it's what people would often refer to as a as a as a a, a bump in the road, virtually. You know, it's um, there well, are just it's still, it's still a very important city. I mean, all the uh, lacquers for to to make um, uh, uh, phonograph records are being made there. Oh, <laughs> really? There's only there's only two factories in the world that make them. There's one in Japan, and the other is in Banning, California. There was a fire last year, uh, causing uh, uh, making making lacquers much more um, uh, scarce um, these days. So, um, well, so I never. Say, well, okay, so, little sidetracking, but no, uh, oh, interesting. I don't hear that about banning. Uh, must check that out next time I'm passing through. And, right. Uh, so. Hmm. But, so, but uh, I, I agree with you that obviously it's, it's not a. a uh, no one's going to California to say like, "Hey, I'm going to visit Banning." 
although I have. Yeah. Well, hopefully the new location will have uh, accommodation with a little a little closer to the museum because uh, where well, it's now, that, you literally have to, you can't, unless you're actually parking or camping on, on site, which uh, I don't think has been available recently, then it's easily a 10, 15 minute drive from the nearest accommodation to the hotel, which uh, yeah. it would be nice just to be able to walk there and, and walk back. And, and, uh, one of the one of the advantages probably of Palm Springs is that Palm Springs has a uh, an airport that's does, easily yeah. accessible from uh, LAX and yeah. other areas, uh, other airports. Yeah, I think uh, Southwest flying to uh, Palm Springs amongst other airlines. So uh, yeah, they have quite a, a big network. So uh, it wouldn't be wouldn't be that expensive to, to get there. Right. Okay. So well, uh, I suppose that's all the news for now on uh, the Museum of Pinball possibly moving. Mm, yep. Um, so then there was, there was this uh, little bit of um, um, a, a sort of hiccup in uh, uh, some people's lives uh, <laughs> where Pinside shut down for a week, uh, not uh, because they wanted to, but due to a fire at their uh, hosting company, um, resulting in, uh, um, I suppose, water damage or uh, something else. And it, it, it took, I, I think it took... Robin, um, a week or, or, or something like that to get the website running again. Yeah, um, <laughs> certainly raised a few eyebrows there about um, a fire at a, at a website hosting company and, uh, and then the, the suggestion that there was water damage. Uh, you would think if you've got a whole racks and racks of servers there, the last thing you want to do is introduce water um, even if there's a fire, they normally have gas solutions in order to to, to uh, starve a fire of any oxygen. But uh, who knows? Um, that was that was the claim from the hosting company, and um, I'm sure Robin was just passing on the details of that. But anyway, he, he got it back, and uh, as soon as, as soon as he reasonably could. And uh, in the meantime, um, people had to come up with their own opinions um, rather yeah. than rather than read other people's. Right. Okay. So. Um but now we're back to normal, and you can uh, base your opinion on the one or, uh, on, on the opinion of others. Yeah, yeah. So normality is restored, right? So, and then you had a um, um, sort of last news item um, of Led Zeppelin machines being stolen. Yeah, real surprise. But um, amusement machine distributors in Australia, AMD, as they are well known down there, uh, amdcoinop.com for the website. Uh, put out a notice um, alerting well, pinball community, really, and coin-op operators that um, uh, five of their uh, Led Zeppelin limited edition games had been stolen in transit. Uh, they were in uh, Melbourne. This was actually over the Easter long weekend, so the start of uh, last month. And um, the incident was captured on CCTV and police were notified and, of course, there's a uh, criminal investigation taking place because uh, they're, they're not cheap machines. And, uh, and of course, they are all um, serialized and have a serial numbers all over them. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you see any of these, the following numbers, uh, and they're all limited editions, they're all individually numbered. So if you see uh, machines numbered uh, 455, 255, 266, 154, or 153 being offered for sale... Uh, Bingo! Yeah, exactly. Yeah, then you've won the lottery. No, you could end up in, in trouble if you uh, were to buy one because they are stolen property as of the moment. 
So until they're recovered and uh, available for sale legally by AMD, then uh, they are still missing and um, considered stolen. So okay. those numbers again, 455, 255, 266, 154, and 53. Keep an eye out for those. Right. Okay. So um, I feel a bit strange. You, um, you are a bit strange. Well, yeah, that's too, that's yeah, uh, no argument there. <laughs> no, uh, normally we would have been interrupted by oh, uh, right. uh, uh, Gary Gary Flower calling in. Yeah, um, how can we do? Uh, he must have known we were doing our podcasts. I'm uh, yeah, we wouldn't have called when we were uh, talking to to Mike, would he? Um, well, let me. Oh, he would have left a, a message. I think. Or you... uh, when was it? Was it like uh, uh, oh, an hour not... or something? Yeah, yeah. Oh, at least. Oh, I, um, he left. Um, he left a voice message on my... Uh... What? Oh. Yeah. Let's hear what he has to say. Hold oh, on, we call on. him back then. Hold on. Let, okay. me, let me see what... Yeah? What did he say? Hi, Jonathan. I've got some really exciting news. Uh, please call me back as soon as you can. I'm going to be around for about a half an hour. Then I'm going to be tied up probably for the rest of the day. So hope to talk to you soon. Best wishes. Bye-bye. Oh, mm. Half an hour? Oh. Half an hour, yeah. That, well, this came in like an hour and a half ago. Oh dear. Uh, oh well, never mind. We'll 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 call him back, and if there's anything really important, we'll. Well, I guess we'll. If it's that important, we'll do a special podcast, a special right. bonus and, one. Uh, also, just pointing out next week or yeah. next month. Next yeah, podcast, that's right. We we'll so. include it. Yeah, I'm sure. It, okay. Uh, so sorry about that. Sorry, I have missed it. <laughs> and um, oh well. Um, uh, at least we've got Gary on in some sense. I suppose we do. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. um, I oh, suppose well, this wraps it up. Yeah. Yeah. For, for the, our recap of the pinball industry news of, uh, April, uh, 2021. Yep. That's it. Yep. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you had a, a good month and looking forward to things getting back to a slightly more normal situation with, uh, lo- location pinball opening up and, um, and shows and, uh, other events taking place and tournaments. Right. Yeah. Okay. So uh, make sure to catch us uh, at the beginning of next month with our recap of May 2021. Yeah. So until then, we uh, wish you a great month, and we'll we'll speak to you in a month's time. Okay. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Bye bye.